<laughs> You'd be surprised what a man that cold would do for a blanket. You want to know what your boy did? I pulled my big black pecker out of my pants and I made him crawl through the snow on all foes over to it. Then I grabbed me a handful of that black hat at the back of his head and I stuck my big black Johnson right down his goddamn throat. And it was full of blood, so it was warm. <laughs> oh, you bet your sweet ass it was warm. And Chester Charles Smithers sucked on that warm black dingus for long as he could. see pictures, ain't you? Do you expect me to talk? episode 110 of Do You Expect Us to Talk? I'm your host Becca and as always joined by the delectable Chris and Dave. How are you both doing? I'm doing fine, thank you. Couldn't think of a witty uh... <laughs> I couldn't <laughs> this time, intro. unfortunately. Well, I will just settle for my... I was just... The delectable threw me off, but um, I'll just settle <laughs> for my, my award-winning... Good evening, folks. I tried to go, obviously, you know, there's not eight of us and we're not particularly hateful. Um... <laughs> Delectable three would be uh, a different film. <laughs> Certainly if I wrote it. When I was like sort of like typing notes for this film, I kept like sort of making the mistake of saying the hatful eight. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I, I liked it with Inglorious Bastards. I said, watch out for the spelling. Then we had a conversation because Becca came back and said, you've spelt that word wrong. And I actually showed her like a screen yeah, grab. Yeah, it was actually spelled with the extra U. And, and I was like, and she was like, all right. Version. So I was like, so we all had that conversation. Then Chris put it up with a spelling mistake on it. <laughs> <laughs> but I like that. I wouldn't change no, it. I, I, I like the fact that we have like wrong. all that shit in our notes. Oh, Chris's show notes are great anyway. But yeah, the hat for late. <laughs> the hat for late. I'm hearing my then, sense of hats. Full of hats. What hat are you wearing? <laughs> Well, Homer Simpson always said that that should be in a film's plot, shouldn't it? A scene where you try on hats. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Homer was right, generally, in all things. Yeah. I love about toilet breaks as well. Like, no one ever seems to go to the toilet. That's true, yeah. You don't ever, ever see James Bond going to the toilet, do you? I mean, yeah, I don't suppose it's necessary, but like when you think of like, things like 24, I think no one's ever like, oh, shit, I'm and really hungry. Power, take a wee, go for a wee. I know, like, you know, the like, brink of nuclear war, but still, it's like, yeah, you know, you need to be at some point. Been the, um, Goldeneye would have been the best point, you know, where he says, 
beg your pardon, forgot to knock. He should have like come oh, to the yeah. floor and just thought, well, I'll have a quick piss while I'm here. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mind you, he probably shit and pissed himself on the way down on that fucking jump anyway, so probably redundant. Oh, dear. Anyway, folks, we have come to the end of our Tarantino series for now. Good night, folks. Good night. Bye. No, until he makes his next film. Of course. Which is uh, pretty much cast, all set with a release date. We, um, so that will be in about 16 months' time. Coming soon. And we will be covering it. When it's out. But for now, you'll have to contend with our review of The Hateful Eight. I'm going to try and... This cast is so massive and sprawling. Well, it's um, eight. <laughs> exactly. Eight plus three or four. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Plus the four that were hiding underneath the floorboards. So we have starring... Jennifer Jason Lee, Samuel L. Jackson, Kurt Russell, Walton Goggins, who is amazing, Tim Roth, Michael Madsen, Bruce Stern, Damian Bisher, and Channing Tatum. If you can spot him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no Billy Zane, if you can spot him. <laughs> no Billy Zane, if you can spot him. You can spot Channing Tatum, because yeah. he's very handsome, maybe he makes your mark in this film. Pleased to hear you list uh, Jennifer Jason Lee first. She was nominated for Best Supporting Actress for this film. Um only the only acting nod in this film. Uh, she was nominated for Best Supporting Actress, beaten by Alicia Vikander for The Danish Girl. So close, and, and, so close. and I'd argue that she's probably the best thing in the film. Oh, she's fantastic. I think the thing she her performance re- really works on the rewatch. Like once you've like seen it and you watch it again, you really see the nuances and the expressions of her face. You kind of think, well, you, you yeah, can see the, the wheels ticking ahead going like, oh, okay. You kind of like, you know, she's like looking at uh, Samuel Jackson thinking, oh, well, you're fucked. But you, but you don't exactly. know so that she when you're... End, where she's like explaining her plot and basically, you know, telling about all this, her, her gang of like 15 bandits mm. that are going to come and attack, um, attack the haberdashery. Like she doesn't blink once throughout that whole that whole scene and it's like a I mean she's she's covered in blood she takes quite a lot of violence in this film which I would imagine some people would have some problems with but she's missing her front teeth and everything mm. else it's a, it's a it's a performance without vanity and it's a larger than life uh, performance and when we actually find out her background near the end of the film it's all very very plausible in the body of this particular actress Oh definitely definitely but she, yeah and she does really well and really memorable for it as well It's also got uh, an Ennio Morricone score that did take the Oscar for uh, Best uh, best score. It's the first time he won in like a fifty plus year career as well. I've got some fun facts about any um, Morricone coming up at the end of the show, garnered from my personal brain and He's gonna fucking die now, isn't he? Well, I hope not. I sincerely <laughs> hope not. Shall I pick some other facts? Well, about fair, he, else? he is old, but yeah. I, mean, I don't want to kill him off like we've done with Roger Moore. <laughs> And Adam West. And, Adam and West Bruce Forsyth. <laughs> and, and Dale, Dale, Dale Winston. We did mention Dale Winston, Dale Winston in episode. And then we mentioned um, John Lasseter and Pixar suspended him the following fucking week. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't really, oh, I think I might pick something else now. I'll scrap my... So, so basically when it comes to the next week, all eyes on Pacino and Coppola. <laughs> oh God. Gonna so crack like, it. In three years' time, when he wins his second Oscar, he'll, he'll, he'll go up to collect the prize and he'll thank us for not being. <laughs> thank you, <laughs> Thank you for saving my you for, life. By not doing fun facts on me. Save my life. 
What shall I do? I'm in a quandary now. I feel Just like. Just do the fun facts. We've already jinxed him if he dies now. <laughs> I don't think the fun facts will have done it. Oh dear. Maybe um, there's a curse on fun facts. We'll wake up tomorrow. Marconi has died. Oh. <laughs> this film was um, a sort of on and off again as an idea of originally uh, Tarantino was looking to film it uh, uh, much earlier in 2014. Probably for an earlier release in the year of its release, if you like. It came out Christmas Day 2015 in the United States. Had he stuck to his original schedule, maybe we would have got it a little earlier than that. Um, He handed the script to a number of trusted people and it leaked. And it's funny because Tarantino's never been shy about sharing his stuff. But that particularly got to him and he immediately sort of said, I'm not doing it anymore. And then... He clearly wanted to do something with this script, so he did a sort of live theatre reading of it. Uh, All different casting. I cannot remember who was in those casts, but it it is not the people playing these characters as in the film. Um, And then he changed his mind. He changed a couple of details about the film. There certainly wasn't a Mexican in the original plot. Um, And towards the end of the film, the ending is different, and maybe we'll talk about that when we get there. Um, what were your first experiences with this film, and what do you think of it, folks? Um, I, yeah, it was a bit of a, it was a bit, of, it was a bit of like a, a weird one because when he first announced it, it's like, oh, that sounds interesting, and uh, and then and then he kind of then it kind of the script got leaked, and I never read it, but it it got leaked, and Tarantino, well, I'm not doing it now. I was like, kind of, oh, Tarantino, don't do that, don't you know. Don't just like I think announce. This is genuine. I mean, you could look at it as throwing his toys out the pram or whatever, but I think yeah. he was genuinely hurt by that. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I, and I think it was because he gave it to people like. I, I can't remember what the circle was of he gave it to, but he gave it to four or five people. I have a feeling Tim Roth was, what, was one, and I have a feeling Kurt Russell was another. Um, and then it leaked. So yeah, I think. Yeah, probably Michael was, Madsen as well, probably. It was and... probably the betrayal of trust, yeah. I think. That soured the whole thing for a while till he got over it, and it turned out to be actually be one of the agents anyway, rather than them personally. Yeah. So. I, yeah, I mean, he never pointed a finger at anyone. He just, he just said, "I can't believe people I would trust would have done that," and it turned out they didn't. It was like yeah, the, the whoever agent, I don't know who it was. Um, so yeah, you know, eventually it was like a lot, and then plus, there was the the big history of it about like uh, this. Like the distributor of Cineworld World not pulling it over, and then like people's like, oh, I can't go see Tarantino film. It's like, yeah, well, there's other cinemas showing it. Well, yeah, but I mean, it depends where you live, Chris. I mean, not everyone has has a range of choices. Not everyone lives in a city. Not everyone lives in a big city. So you may yeah. live here. You may near live live near a Cineworld, and it may be you're faced with a thirty or forty mile drive if that particular cinema isn't showing it mm. that wasn't we, we're getting a cine world next year we've got different chains in this area at the moment so we were unaffected by this certainly the overall uh, box office of the film wasn't wildly high Django Unchanged took 425 million at the worldwide box office which is big for a film of that type it really is this took 155 so you took it you're looking at a little over a third um, but the budget was significantly less as you would expect, the Django Unchained as well. Maybe like the the style of the film as well. It just it didn't seem that appeasing to people. Like, it didn't seem as like big on grand st- scale when people hear about the film. It's like well, it's a bunch of people in a in a in a big room. 
Well, there's also the length of the film. Now, on paper, it's only two to three minutes longer than Django Unchained, but that's already getting up there in length. Mm. But um, I think a lot of cinemas saw, certainly my chain, which was a view, took, I think, the opportunity to try and sell some more at the concession stand. There was a roadshow version of this that I think is about 12 minutes longer. I've pulled that figure out of, out of the air. I'm not quite sure. I think I'm, I'm going to, I'm looking for it now, to be honest. Um, but it, it's longer, but not wildly longer and not a huge amount more in it. And it came with an intermission. And I'll tell you where that intermission is. View put the intermission in anyway. I don't oh, know whether I, I don't know whether other chains did that, but like hour and a half or so into the film, and and that's quite normal with films with intermissions. If you go and watch, say, Lawrence of Arabia, the intermission is a little over halfway through the film. The second half is normally a little bit isn't half; it's a bit shorter than that. Uh, but yeah, they put it in anyway, so you're then looking at over three hours per screening. Um, so yeah. Uh, I yeah, and of course you've also got the issue that just before Christmas, Star Wars returned. Yeah. So uh, in January you've still got multiple screens absolutely stacked with that film, and so the Hateful Eight, which will have will have got the number of screens it got, um, but there'd be fewer screenings in that and less scope for moving it to others. And of course, like I say, certain chains, one chain couldn't show it. And Cineworld at the time of recording is the biggest chain in this country. So um, that is our biggest market. But it's not, I think anyone who's not from this country, for anyone who's not from this country, it's not a completely dominant chain. It's not like everywhere you go is a Cineworld. Mm. Odeon are nearly as big, View are nearly as big. Um, but it is the biggest. I yeah. think it's, you know, of course, it's, you've it's got, got more a... independent ones as well elsewhere. Yeah, isn't you? So, um... <clears throat> yeah you have. Um, yeah. But the fact is, uh, it was taking over. By the time you put, you know, adverts and um, adverts and trailers on as well, you're looking at three and a half hours per screening. Um, and it's pretty much similar to Where's Our Dogs in terms of it, its style. I mean, it's basically just like a bunch of characters in a room, um, and things escalate and violence happens. Uh, which I is which I kind of like. I mean, to be honest, I think this is a bit more of a. If this feels more of a western than Django, this feels more like an actual genre piece than than say Django was. And I think maybe that might be due to like the the mishmash of the of the different um, genres that Django, that that Django had. But this felt very more specifically a western, particularly with the um, Marconi score. Yeah, and I think the score has a big thing. I mean, Chris mentioned on another show a long time ago when we were talking about The Hateful Eight and the, the score, he was like, well, it's one piece of music, really. Well, sort of. It, that that theme is, is laced throughout the film. Um, more than I realised, actually. I always thought there was very little music in this film that's comparative to his films. But, yeah, there's actually quite a lot. I think the other thing is it, it's expectations as well. Reservoir Dogs, I've always talked about as a very missold film in that it's this violent, you know, gang and all the rest of it, this heist. And it's actually, like I say, like I said a few episodes ago, it's just it's just a think piece on trust, really. This film, its teaser poster was a, a horse-drawn carriage with a certain number of horses, you know, running. And then the, tra the tracks behind it were blood. Beautiful poster. I really, really like it. But it kind of, it's not what you think it's going to be. 
you know, this film is is a lot of talking. It is. Well, it was Tarantino plays to his strengths, doesn't it? The uh, the whole just character dialogue, really. I mean, I yeah. I mean, I I I was really engaged with it. I mean, the the only real criticism I have of the film is that it is just too long. It just needs to be trimmed. And I think there is a scene later on, which we'll get to, that I think just does not need to be there. There's interested to hear. Be very interested to hear what that is. Um, I certainly thought in one place. Samuel L. Jackson is electric in this film, as yeah. always, but there was one particular speech he gave, and isn't that speech, it's later in the film, where I just thought, yeah, this is, he's taking too long for what the film is trying to communicate here. So I think you can like this film without really, um, without failing to address Tarantino's flaws, which are, he's just not tight enough anymore in terms of in terms of his editing mm. uh this film is too long i it, it was always going to be a long film i probably would have only trimmed a quarter of an hour off it and yeah. i think most i think most of the scenes deserve to be there i think you needed to feel a little bit of the sort of boredom and ennui of sort of being stuck in a place for a while so i'd be willing to be argued with on it in terms I, of but i would argue i would probably say that probably trim off uh, a little bit of the journey there not 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 a great deal just like just a few little things here and there just kind of to get let's get to the actual haberdashery quicker let's just get there faster because it, it does it's sort of, we're getting on to like it's nearly like an hour before we actually yeah it is else. and i i really i think a lot of that is this film is shot 70 millimeter mm. it's the first film I forget the name of the film they said, but it was it, it, they, those lenses hadn't been used in like forty some years. It was sometime in the late sixties. There was the last a seventy millimeter, oh, a Panavision film anyway. I mean, there were there were seventy millimeter releases. Of Star Trek motion picture was, but those particular lenses and you know re- built into new cameras and all the rest of it. Um, he did a roadshow release on it. So it's shot in 65 and projected in 70. The technicalities of that, I don't really know, to be honest with you. Um, it's a wider format. It's it's uh, the standard or well, standard widescreen, sort of a la Back to the Future, is 185 to 1-ish. And uh, CinemaScope, which uh, most action films are shot in, is a 235-ish to 1. Um, this is something like 278 to 1. It's it's a very wide film, um, and I I can see why he wanted to catch plenty of them on the way there because it's beautiful. Mm, it, it does look absolutely gorgeous. Done by the same guy who did Django. Robert Richardson. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and I I watched it again like spe- mm. uh, specifically that opening sh- like snowy shot mm. when you see you know the, those opening images and you just think fuck I agree with you yeah he, I I want him to do a Bond film now I just yeah I want that sort of. Right, he's been known to work not not every time, but he's been known to work for Martin Scorsese. He mm. shot Casino, which is a beautiful film. Mm, that's amazing. Um, he's done a lot of he early sh- Oliver Stone as well, hasn't he? He did JFK, yeah, which is also Stone, a beautiful yeah. film. Um, he did Platoon. Uh, mm, forgot about that. Yes. Yeah, and the rest of it I'd have to look up. Um, but I think he's possibly my favourite cinematographer at the moment. I think he is. Roger Deakins is talented, but like I've always got a problem with at least one scene in, in like his films. This guy, everything he lenses just looks, looks amazing. Beautiful. Yeah. Uh, he he did. I'm um, just looking. He did Live by Night as well, which wasn't wasn't well thought of the Ben Affleck film, but it looked great. <laughs> um, 
yeah, the, the guy, the guy just has a terrific eye. Probably two of them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and he shot Hugo. I'm just look. I am looking yeah. now. He shot Hugo. Oh, of course he did. Yes, also Scorsese. Yeah, he shot Ireland well, as well. Did he do that? He did shot yeah. Ireland as well. But Hugo particularly was Mark Scorsese's one foray into 3D, and mm. it's one of the few live action 3 3D films where I think it's worth it, and it's beautiful. It does it's, look really good, actually. Yeah, that, that's a that's a film I recommend. Definitely, you could check out there. So yeah, in in general, I think you know, I think this is basically like a character piece, much like uh, Reservoir Dogs in terms of trust. It's very much more along those lines of suspicion. It's like walking into a room with people, a bunch of people you don't know or don't quite know, and there's just an air of like, right, uh, I don't know who to trust, and there's all the. I, 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 it plays with that really well, I think. The only, the only letdown is like a few to the Hateful Eight, uh, particularly Michael Madsen and the uh, Mexican Bob. I forget the actor's name. Uh, Damien Bashir. Damien Bashir. Oh, yeah, I kept wanting to say Martin Bashir, but I thought, no, that's not right. Um, <laughs> he killed Michael Jackson, the bastard! <laughs> um, Didn't he also interview like, um, Prince Diana, or was that somebody else? Hey, he, probably, pre- he, he probably interviewed like, a b- bunch of people, really, isn't he? I, I don't know. Yeah, but I tried to think what else he was. His interview with Diana was fucking cringe making. That, that, that was the contra- controversial one, wasn't it? No, it, yeah. wasn't, it wasn't him. It was just the whole tenor of it. It was just fucking oh, awful. But yeah, um, yeah, Damien Bashir, you, yeah, you, those are the two you have an issue with. Well, it's not necessarily I have a deep issue, it's just a bit like, so what? I mean, Michael mm. Madsen. Uh, you know, it's a return to uh, as you say, Dave, like the Mr. Chase movie. Well, it's, 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 it's kind of like a, a staff reunion, really, isn't it? Because you've got, well, see, Samuel Jackson, um, well, Tim Roth, uh, Michael Madsen. You kind of, kind of getting the gang back together, but mm. not quite. Um, but yeah, I, I see what you mean. Well, yeah, I, I think it's just something's like not there. I mean, he's kind of playing. It's just a bit of a. You don't really know. He can't really put a lid on his what his character's meant to be or what he's portrayed to be. Uh, there's yeah, just and this... I don't know if he thinks he's Clint Eastwood, but there's a bit where they all introduce themselves to Minnie later. Yeah, and and you get you know um, what's what's his name? Um, what's what's um, Roth's cover name? I've forgotten now. Joe Gage. Waldo. No, no, Joe Gage oh. is him. Oh yeah, Oswald, oh, Oswald Waldo Mowbray. Yeah. Yeah. and he pulls down his his sort of like um, cover off his face and just goes Joe Gage. And I just think, fucking hell, you're awful. <laughs> and when yeah. he shot near the end, sorry, spoilers for everyone, but when he shot yeah, at that's... the end, he it, it, it doesn't even physically move very well now either. It, it's just, well, just, it, it just feels uh, like so what? He's just like. He is getting on a bit I think it's just literally token token appearance by Michael Madsen. Well, I mean, I guess he's, he tends to be a fairly passive character anyway uh, as an actor. We've talked about sort of active and passive before. If you've got someone in the room who's no, notably quieter than the rest of them and actually, but it still but still carries a bit of menace, more than most films in, in you know, in ter- more than any of his other films since Reservoir Dogs that he's done for Tarantino, this is, I can see why he was cast. Still doesn't stop me thinking I don't like him very much. Yeah, that's the thing. You meant he's meant to be out of the one character. He's meant to be the guy who just looks like if anyone's going to be hard and criminal, it's him. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas actually, it looks like he's been. It looks like he's being distracted while he's trying to watch the snooker. 
<laughs> well, he does. He's like his story is like, yeah, I'm just trying to get home to my mum, and he just he's, he looks like someone just who's trying to play hard, but really isn't. Yeah, and then that, that that's what it comes across. He's like, yeah, I, I believe you actually go. You generally just going to see your mum. That's that's. Uh, I mean, the only the only relief I did have in Pat after last week was when, when he wrote in a character from New Zealand who was a woman. He he didn't think I'll play that myself. Although <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, there were part there were parts in I, I think we had a lucky escape because there were parts where Walton Goggins was almost challenge channeling Tarantino. Yeah, there, he really there, was. There was a bit where, he's, where he's, he's got the, in this film as well. where, where he's like, I fucking knew it. I could see Tarantino casting himself to do that. So I'm really mm-hmm. glad he didn't. But yeah, generally speaking, Zoe Bell is actually better suited to this role because it's kind of a bit perky and she, optimistic. She's very, yeah, she's very childlike. Uh, you know, and they kind of like really sort of like, oh, I'm, a, she, so. I'm, I'm a 19 year old who's just like happy to be here. She play, kind of yeah. plays that kind of. But it, she actually suits that role. And he has written in a bit of background that she's from that country. So again, not particularly an actress, but didn't bother me at all here, I have to say. So if I very minor role here, isn't she? If I did criticise, it's not even whether it's minor or major because I haven't liked her in other minor roles. But um, if I were to critique this, I would just be picking on her because it's Zoe Bell. She's actually okay. Michael Madsen's the one problem I've got in this. But again, he's he's for somebody who's in the room at all times, he's hardly in it. No, so yeah, yeah, very. I kind of say the same really, even though he's kind of got top billing there, and you just think, oh, okay. But you know, what's what's the point in including him? But no worries. Yeah, it's nice to have the you know Where's My Dogs Pro back with with him and um, Roth there. Uh, Roth doing almost like an um, impersonation of uh, Christoph Waltz. He always <laughs> always feel like well, it's also mo- almost almost feels like that's ah, kind of like a Doctor King Schultz or or, or Schultz. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's Schultz. Schultz. <laughs> yes. um, so overall, pretty good. Just too long. Just too long. too long. Oh, um, oh, Mexican Bob as well. I mean, it wasn't like I had a problem with the actor. It just like the whole conception of the character was just like I'm just a big furry gruff Mexican dude. There was no actual nuance in anything else. It was just like, uh, oh hey, uh, I'm just gonna do this or something. <laughs> yeah. it, I mean, I, I I was thinking about it today. I think like who would I much prefer? And yeah, um, I, I I just I had a head up. I'd um. Uh, what's his name? Del Toro. Uh, oh. uh, Benicio. Benicio yeah. Del Toro. Yeah, Benicio Del Toro. He, like, same type same yeah. character, but Benicio doing that sort of, like, suspicious, really sort of shifty kind of, but quite clever, you know, you're not sure, you know, that would have worked, probably worked a lot better, I would have thought. I'm actually surpri- I'm surprised you didn't say Robert Darby, actually. That's what I thought you were going to say. <laughs> oh, right, okay. Uh, you don't want to put him in that cold he... environment and risk him getting. <laughs> In a cold, do I you? still care. No, no. Um, no, it, 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 it would have been too old. It just would have been out of place. It was like may, maybe Robert Darby, like in the eighties. Yeah, sure, but yeah. Uh, but Becca, what do you make of this film? Um, yeah, I can't really add very much at all. Um, yeah, I must say, um, just to people were saying off air at the beginning of the show. Um, when this came out, I went to go and see it with a very good group of friends, but. A, perhaps they maybe they weren't familiar with Tarantino. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I saw 
saw the this film with those group of people. I cannot recall the circumstances around it. I think obviously we had a few hours to kill. Um, but I remember one of my friends yeah. unfortunately came away and she was a little bit like, oh, that wasn't what I was expecting. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh. Um, yeah, no, no, it's was, it was very good. I think at the very worst, it is perhaps a little bit too long. Um, yeah, Mexican Bob, a little bit point, well, not pointless, but. One um, note and just kind of like, yeah. Just, just one note. It's like, yeah, why, why have somebody, well, you, you mentioned Benicio Del Toro or Robert Darby, but why have somebody of Demi Bush's calibre, you know, which is a bit a, a bit odd. Um, but at the end, you've got somebody like Michael Madsen, who is, I think, token Tarantino appearance. Um, and it's probably, like, his most indulgent film, I think. Um, but, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, again, it's one of those things that's kind of mentioned earlier that it's kind of not the most, like, cinematic movie. It's very much kind of, it's quite static in terms of, literally, you go from, like, um, stagecoach. A lot of scenes take take place like inside um essentially it could be a stage play adapted for the screen almost um that's kind of like how static it would be well, he's um, doing it as a stage play isn't he he's, he's doing... yeah i was going to say it's kind of it's going to be adapted for the stage at some point um which i think will be very interesting i'd go um, see it yeah i think i probably would as well you know decide to travel any distance i'm a lazy bastard <laughs> well it's a few, if, if, um... they, if they put it on if they put it on just outside my house i'll go <laughs> Maybe we can get a group uh, a group outing. Or, or if you happen to be in London when it's on, you might, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, guess if you can go, get, go to the um, half-price ticket booth and try and get some cheap tickets. Well, I'm quite happy to pay to see it. <laughs> but yeah, I would, I would go and see this. I think, yeah, it's it's very like Reservoir Dogs that way. You, you, of all of his films, it's the one where you just think, yeah, that, that could be a stage play quite easily. Mm, no, definitely. What it has that... What it has that... Reservoir Dogs doesn't have that he's added to his canon is thinking about the geography of a room. That what adds to, you know, he, he, he at all times I'm thinking, right, he's got the two in the background doing that and they're doing this and, you know, and there's they're, they're, they're moving relative to each other because of the element of trust as well. Um, yeah, he, he's physically thought about what their characters are doing as much as what they're saying. So I was impressed by that. It's got a beautiful opening. I, I really thought it was about half an hour. Maybe it is longer for them to get to um, for them to get to the haberdashery. Um, and just it, it's it's bizarre, really, because it's a film you could quite easily trim down, or you could you could be certainly forgiven for wanting to trim it down. It's actually fairly tightly plotted in terms of, of in terms of what the film takes us through to get us to the the close of it. I always really, really liked it. It's it's a bit of a curio. As much as I'm saying it's it's very like Reservoir Dogs, it, it isn't in that there isn't another film of his. It doesn't look like the rest of his filmography. It's more akin to Death Proof, not in quality, but in the fact that they almost stand apart. He's experimenting with something here, um, which is part of the reason I said at the outset of the series that he's kind of almost outgrowing the format in some ways. He's clearly deeply in love in, with film. Why would you go and get 50-year-old lenses if you weren't absolutely in love with, with the sort of history of, of your art form? But whilst keeping his um, chapter structure, again, this is a man wanting to experiment with something. He did he did um, talk about TV shows like High Chaparral and Bonanza and how a couple times a season they would have 
these kind of episodes where you would have a gathering somewhere and some of them were bad and some of them were good. And he said he just wanted to take the good guys out. He did one a Michael Landon type there. Um, so it's very experimental. I don't expect his next film to be anything like this, you know, regardless of era. Um, but I'm really glad he did it. And I, I think what disappointed me when it came out, people are perfectly entitled to their own opinion, but it came out, most people I knew and online didn't really like this. Um, but I liked it a lot more than Django Unchained. And I like the guy, I don't want him to make Pulp Fiction again. Now, it's been a long time since Pulp Fiction, and, and he's saying that his Once Upon a Time in Hollywood film is going to be most closest in tone in his canon to Pulp Fiction. But I don't want him to make Pulp Fiction again. This this is a man of a unique talent. We're only going to get 10 projects out of, if you like. It's more than 10 films, but 10 projects out of. And so the idea that he used one of them to do something something different, albeit there's a hint of Reservoir Dogs in there, I think it's terrific, and I really liked it, and I had a really good viewing with it as well. Yeah, it's also got shows a bit of DNA with the thing as well, you know, with uh, Kurt Russell and I the thought fact of that, that it's... Uh, yeah, definitely, it's very much the thing vibe the, running through it. The, the well, whole, like, trapped partly, by the blizzard, you know. In the, yeah, but it's also mm. the very end of the film where they're just like, well, yeah. we're fucked, so let's just read this letter. Well, the yeah, end of the good. thing is the pair of them having a drink going, well, we're fucked, aren't we? Yeah, did well. Yeah, they kind of like stare, like stare each other down. Just like obviously yeah. don't don't know whether whether they can trust each other or whether one of them is the thing. So just like, well, I guess we're we're just gonna stay here and wait. And see. What yeah, happens. and it's like, well, in some respects, by that point, don't matter. You're both fucked. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. So very much like the thing as well. Um. Anyone who hasn't seen it, go and see the fucking thing. It's not the fucking thing. The thing. Um. It's <laughs> really, the, really, really great. In terms of um films of its era. In tone, it's probably, well, in sort of plot, it's actually probably closest to Alien, the original Ridley Scott Alien, but it looks and feels completely different, and it's great. Probably my favourite John Carpenter film. Yeah, it's probably yeah. the best film he did. Um, oh, just sure. out, outside of it, because it's one that feels the least calm to rest, but it feels just like an organic film that is just almost perfect as you can make one. Uh, it's probably my favourite horror film. Uh, I think. Well, I think the problem I've always got with horror is, uh, I think there's something almost a bit juvenile about. Look how scary we are! Yeah. And it's just like that film just doesn't do it. it it's fucking brilliant. And the other thing is, um, I, I'm I'm very much a a defender of CG, but the inventiveness that had to go into this film because they didn't have those tools mm. made it a better film. Well, that's why it's such a classic, isn't it? Because they and didn't it, have that technology. Yeah, and it's really gross as well. I mean, like, the, also the concept is just a really good concept, the oh, idea of the creature. It's like body horror. Well, yeah, it's not that. It's the paranoia. It's like the whole like, idea of... I mean, I, I remember watching it... Uh, must have been when I was at school. No, well, not actually at school because that would have been weird. Uh, yeah. But <laughs> we're cancelling <laughs> double maths today. No, just remember. Just remember, we are supposed to teach you maths, so remember to count how many of there are. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no, I remember why. Like, sort of after finish watching, sort of like almost like paranoid to touch anything. Just sort of like just think, fucking hell, I could like you know, because the yeah. whole place yeah. feels affected. Yeah, you know, it could yeah. be any. Literally, could like it could pretend to be anything almost. So you could you don't you didn't know what. So that whole idea is just like fucking paranoia, uh, which is very much okay. Like this film, everyone's just like paranoid and don't know how to who to trust. Um, but yeah, no, everyone, everyone, generally speaking, is is really good in it. Uh, my uh, the the core three, you know, my uh, not Michael Madsen, uh, Kurt Russell, uh, Samuel Jackson, and um, uh, Walt Goggins. Jackson, right? 
and Jeff and Jason Lee, of course. Sorry. Yeah, it it really is those four. The rest of them mm. are supporting characters around those four, really. Um, and it, it different. I mean, Samuel L. Jackson stands out. Jason, Jennifer Jason Lee stands out because there aren't many good female roles written comparatively. There aren't. You've only got a look. No, I disagree. I think he, write, he writes reasonably decent characters. But what I'm saying is, if you go and look at like not many the of Academy, them, apart from the bride and but if you go and watch, yeah, but Jackie they're really Brown. good. Jackie yeah, Brown, so, obviously, they're, they're good though. That's the well, point. Yeah, they're, they're good, but just few and far between. Okay, when that's, you, that's my point. That they're yeah, good, yeah, but they're not yeah. very many of them. But what I'm saying is, if you go and look at like the Academy Award nominations each mm-hmm. year, look at the best actor and best supporting actor nominations and put them next to the women. And there's just there's far far more strength in depth, and I think that's just there are more decent male parts written. So she just it's nothing to do with with acting talent; it's to do with that they're relatively poorly served still. So this really stood out from that perspective. Walton Goggins is just great, and he is the one character in the film that I just think if Tarantino had indulged himself, that's who he would have played. Yeah, I think yeah. that also the the relationship between him and Sam Jackson is probably the most organic of relationships in, in the whole film it's it's re- like a real kind of like they they kind of bond over because he over. was a co- yeah he was a yeah. confederate militia man so he basically was there protecting slavery yeah so it was a bit basically they both hate each other couldn't be like sort of two worlds apart but yet they kind of like united by a fucked up circumstance where they just like want to survive and they kind of like the end they kind of almost like not not bodies but just kind of like um Come to get come together out of, out of a mutual sort of like well we 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 kind of like well not survived but you know what I mean they kind of like come together out of like yeah well just like the end of the thing where human yeah. being and murderous murderous shapeshifter enjoy a nice drink <laughs> <laughs> well we're just gonna sit down and chill <laughs> yeah um, yeah absolutely love this film um, don't watch it that often probably tonight watching it was the third or fourth I saw it in the cinema. I think I may have seen it twice. I'm not sure. I think I saw it once, though. I'm, I'm thinking I went back and saw it again, but I can't say for certain. So let's just say I saw it once in the cinema. I've got it. I bought it on home release. I watched it then. I don't think I've seen it since. So it's either the third or fourth time tonight. But really, really enjoy it every time. And the sort of seeds of what he's trying to show us is really great. And I like films like that where they sort of almost hide things in plain sight. There's a bit early in the film where one of the characters, and I've immediately forgotten which one, notices some sweets on the floor, or a sweet on the floor. Oh, yeah. And you just think, what's the fucking relevance of that? But it is relevant. And, it's and, a and detail, awful. Isn't it? And then you, you realise that it's a bit like the start of his Glorious Bastards. All the way through that scene, there's people hiding under the floor. You don't immediately see them. You All the know. way through this film... Um, I mean, I'm sure he didn't. I'm sure they didn't, in filming terms, put the actor under there every fucking day. But Channing Tatum's character, Jodie, is under the floorboards at all times during this film. And it's things like that. I like films where you find out you were it was right in front of you and you hadn't noticed. No. Yeah, uh, yeah, you, some, some of those things you couldn't notice because you can't see under the floorboards. But mm. there are things in this film where you just go, that was hiding right in front of us. Uh, even the damage to the door. The door's yeah, fucked up. Yeah. They had to kick the door down to get in. Well, that, that's all from what had happened a few hours before. And we watch them, bat, you know, we watch them fix that door countless times or, or at least sort of hammer it shut. Um, and no one's ever questioned what the fuck happened to the door in the first place. <laughs> um, and we're looking at it. We're looking at the, the outcome of what happens before. 
So, yeah, really, really like it. Shall we discuss this film sequentially, folks? Yeah, go for it. So, yeah, why not? where do we want to start? Uh, well, Perfect at the beginning. Yeah, <laughs> sequentially, Chris, the clues in the word. Um, Begin at the beginning. Yeah, um, we, we, we open on the snowy backdrop. Well, actually, the beginning isn't really the beginning. Well, no, but yes. Um, we'll get to that in a bit. Shall we discuss this film largely sequentially with a flashback? As as, as the film depicts it. Uh... Yeah, I mean, it's... Um, when we say sequentially, we only ever mean through its running time. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. this could be a commentary by memory. That's basically what I, I really, really... Um, I, I really like the opening of this film just because it's so beautiful to look at mm. and you've got that Ennio Morricone... The score is just fantastic, and I don't know what that um, statue they're focusing on is. It's is a it... crucifix, isn't it? Well, it's obviously a crucifix, but I'm not quite sure what type. You know, what... It's... If, if it's yeah, you know, it's a, a certain type of a crucifix, or it has like special significance. Obviously, crucifixes do, um, but then the it's a specific film, one. The last film we saw, the last western we saw, was set in sort of Texas and Tennessee and places like that. So down south, this is Wyoming. Mm. And a so blizzard. he kind of got like a new Bible belt, but and it just uh, it made me think of the Terminator at the end where she dropped. He says there's a storm coming. I know, and she, you know, you see all that in the background. You can see the blizzard behind them. You can see the blizzard on their way. I don't know if they to wait for those conditions or that is some comes some kind of like effect afterwards. But no. the the, the blizz the the weather is ha- is chasing them. You know, and it it does feel a bit fateful somehow. This film. I think fateful, yeah, it's, it's obviously a physical and. Metaphysical for warning, isn't it? Yes, I think that's exactly what it's meant to be. I don't know if that's um, the right word, perhaps. Um, I know what you mean, though. It, 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 military it, knowledge. It's figurative as well for for where the you know what these what got, these people have coming, but um, they're trying to beat the. You've got what's he called? John Ruth, isn't it? Mm. Mm-hmm. Kurt Russell's character. He's shackled to Daisy Domague, Jennifer Jason Lee's character. They are being uh, taken in a horse-drawn carriage by a character called Ob, which is James Parks. Uh, oh yeah, so it is. Yeah, uh, Edgar McGraw. Uh, so they're is. being taken to Red Rock, where he is—he's he's a bounty hunter. He's basically captured her, and she's going to be hung, and he's going to get ten thousand as a reward, which we find out later in the film is is a significant amount of money for a bounty. <laughs> Yeah, and he's nicknamed the Hangman because he does, on the principle, he always delivers them alive to be hung. Because that's that's what justice dictates. Yes. Uh, so he's Kurt Russell's character is, I would say, out of the hateful eight, the boy the the most uh, honest. The boy, the boy, the most like uh, I wouldn't say decent, but he's not decent because he delivers quite a lot of violence on her. But he has principles. Yes, he's the he's what he's the one who actually has a moral compass. Should we say he's um yes yes uh he's he's just like a harsh man in harsh times, but is like he's very he does straight. what he needs to do. It it isn't it, he does deliver a lot of violence on her, but she is a dangerous outlaw. Yeah, they get what's coming to them basically, hmm. um, and he'll deliver them alive whatever he's got to do to do that, even if that means knocking out their teeth. Um. So they're riding along. You've, I say, you've got that music. They're riding along, and Samuel L. Jackson is sort of stood in the middle of a pass, really, sort of a mountain pass, with dead bodies. So he's also a bounty hunter, but of a very different kind. Now, of course, we're, we're post-Civil War by now, so he's a free man. Obviously, the fact that 
some of them remember the civil war and all the rest of it is is relevant as we go through um not immediately trusted probably largely because he's a black man so yeah i get the feeling he doesn't trust anyone though i don't think i, I never kurt russell doesn't yeah it'll be like if you do exactly the same it's not nothing to do with the fact that he well, put your guns over their hands up this high yeah show me your proof Okay, maybe. But of course, because we can very quickly get to the whole sort of letter thing. Sam, uh, Marcus Warren, his character's called Samuel L. Jackson. We'll sort of probably use their actor names kind of interchangeably as we go through, so forgive us for that. But um, he's got a letter that purports to be from Abraham Lincoln to him, like a personal letter. And we later find, well, he later, well, forget the actual authenticity till later but he's holding this letter and it's kind of a it gets him a bit of an in with white people white people yeah. who owned slaves only a decade or so before he 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 is sort of almost presidentially endorsed so it you know it, he's, a, he's a major uh former major and so on and um yeah, it, it builds like a big soft spot for him, though, isn't it? It's like that's what that's what it is. It's like a nice sort of story, sort of getting everyone's good books, and it's like, yeah, sure, why not? Yeah, absolutely. So he is asking to basically his horses have died on the pass, mm. so he's now got these bodies that he's got to deliver for his bounty, which I assume is Red Rock as well, um, and he wants to basically get into the carriage and you know, get safe safe passage. Um, the scene is great. Again, this could be a bit trimmed. And it did make me smile when OB's like, you know, come on, hurry up, we've got a fucking blizzard chasing yeah. us. And I was thinking, that's probably good advice, actually. He almost calls out that they're taking too long. Yeah, it's like, I'm God, I'm quite goddamn it, I'm thinking. It's like, yeah, but that's a point, you know. It's like, it's like you just wasted, like, a good, like, what, 15 minutes? And you could have just been... Yeah. I know, mean, the, the dialogue's lovely. I, I enjoy the scene. I think we'd lose something if we literally got... Put your guns over there. Put your hands up. Right, okay, now slowly pass me your proof. Fine, get in. Mm. We would lose something if it was just that. But that's all the scene actually is. And it does take several minutes. Yeah. I mean, yeah, again, I think, you know, you do need a little bit more just to build the, you know, get to know the characters. But, you know, you could, you know, do little trims just here, there, just tightly, just sort of like, yeah, just a little bit of that, a little bit of that, just to run the, the whole through running time. Because yeah. later on, they're, they're in the carriage and they, they show the letter. Uh, you, you, get, you get to more info on what, what, day, what Daisy's like. Uh, she spits on the letter. Yeah. <laughs> Costumes are great, aren't they? Yeah. I really, I think Samuel L. Jackson looks really fucking cool in that get up. You know, even, even with like a threadbare, like, grey wig on him. You know, basically, he's balding. He's almost completely bald, and they've just put some like wispy grey hair on him. Still looks amazing. But uh, so we've now got. Four Kurt Russell looks really warm. He does. He does. He does. It's very toasty. I'd like to curl up and go to sleep in that moustache. <laughs> it's all the abundance of because it's very cold, so obviously they all wear like animal furs and stuff like that, which I personally don't condone. But they do look very warm and snuggly. Warm and snuggly. <laughs> They do. I'm, they I'm not do. It's very cold. Like, so that's really, that's true. I just didn't expect that to be in our dialogue about this film tonight. Warm and snuggly. Not typically how you describe a Tarantino film. Hey, can you imagine it on the poster? Warm and snuggly. A powerhouse of a film, Empire, right? Warm and snuggly. <laughs> Warm and snuggly. <laughs> 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 
Brilliant. So we've now got four of the hateful eight. We're going to pick up another on the way to um, on the way to this haberdashery, which is kind of effectively becomes like a halfway house. They're they're yeah. about halfway there and they're forced over. Uh, they meet Walton Goggins' character, who claims to be heading to Red Rock to be installed as their new sheriff. Yeah, it's called Chris Mannix. He's described on the Wikipedia page as something called a lost causer. Um, that, that's basically it, he was Confederacy. Um, which means confederacy, he fought for the South, meaning he is... Well, whether he was young enough to have fought for the South, I don't know. Maybe that's the lost cause or element, because he's one of the younger of the, yeah. the, the lot. The, he, the he described as a renegade, wasn't he? Like, confederate renegade. Again, yeah. they don't believe him, though. They just do not believe him. So you've now got... Um, you've now got two bounty hunters of a different race and completely different ideologies. And a confederate man who's claiming to be a sheriff yeah of of the of the town they're going to so the whole idea is just based on like okay this is this is a little bit yeah. <laughs> not convenient but <laughs> it's, it's just a little bit okay right yeah yeah uh, yeah you wouldn't know if so you think you can sort of yeah. believe that story but yeah, well, and we never enough. know if it's true i mean at the end of the film he says you know my first and last act as the sheriff of well, we still don't know if he's, you know, just deciding to keep up that facade. Not officially. So we've now got the five of them. We've got Marcus Warren, which is Samuel L. Jackson. We've got John Ruth, Kurt Russell, Jennifer Jason Lee, And we've got O.B., um, who is James Park, actually riding the carriage. And he's the easiest one to forget of the eight The eight we get to. Uh, yeah, yeah, I must confess he is not, not that he's forgettable. But, um, we don't spend any time with him, really. Is, is yeah. he actually a member of the eight, though? He, well, there's five, five on their way there, aren't there? Uh, it, there's five of them now. Let's think. There's, uh, there's, there's, there's uh, Major Warren, you... John Roof, Daisy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's three. Uh, Chris Mannix, yeah. four. Yeah. Uh, Bob the Mexican, five. Yeah. Tim Roth. Yeah. Uh, that's Michael six. Madsen. Michael Madsen. Michael Madsen. Madsen yeah. They're the eight. Are they? Yeah, Jake, Bruce yeah, Dern doesn't really anything to do with it, though. I, I don't think. He's... I don't think Bruce Dern's counted in the eight. If you no, he just happens to be there. Call if you call up um, posters of this, you've got Samuel L. Jackson from behind with holding two guns in the air, and in front of him you've got John Ruth shackled to um, Daisy. Yeah. Then I think you've got. I think that's a. I think that's Ob and Chris. I don't know. It depends which way you because, actually look at it. Who are the eight? Because I, I think yeah, it's a little bit ambiguous. But I was the only thing argument. I I've always made, counted Ob as one of the eight and not Bruce Dern because Bruce are, Dern happens to just be there. I would I would say that um, Ob is extension of John Roof. Okay. Because he's like okay. he, yeah. Because like yeah. Because what happens? They kind of go at the same time. It's kind of like part. Of I think I think the eight are the three, not Bruce Stone, because he's just been spared, um, the three and this five. But I'm quite happy to wear an argument it's four of this five and Bruce Stone. Yeah. So that's fair. Yeah, fair enough. Okay. So uh, we've got, we've got, on my thinking, five of the eight. And we've, we've, got the five, we've got the four or five, depending on how you count it. And they're now on their way. I, and they pull in at, a haberdashery, which means something slightly different here than it does in the United States. Um, it's, I mean, what is it really? They serve food, coffee, 
Um, what else do they sell? Stew. That looks fair. Stew. Sweets. <laughs> sweets. Yeah, candy. Um, yeah. It, I guess it's like a like an early sort of truck stop, isn't it? It's like a, yeah. You know, I think like, Haberdashery is kind of pretty much where you could buy. I always thought. Most I, mean, of the I always. I always thought it was clothing, but that's probably here. Mm. So anyway. Yeah. Do you know, yeah. It, as, as you were sort of like sort of coaching, kind of like pit stop as it so you could buy like clothing or like supplies. Um, I mean, if you look at the DIY, wizard, <laughs> a, a haberdasher is a pers- person who spells, sells small articles for sewing, such as button ribbons and zippers sure. in the United Kingdom. Mm. That, that's a, yeah, a technical term. Okay. Right, so they're forced in here. Um, you really feel that that it's just beautiful, but yeah, the weather is pulling in, and they would. I think you're left in no doubt they would die if they stayed out in this. Yeah, like everyone is like kind of like just desperate. So, the, so the fact that they've taken in like Chris Mannix and uh, Marcus Warren, like they, they would be fucked otherwise. They, they so yeah, so. Yeah, they, they they bust in the door. Uh, they uh, Warren takes takes goes with like uh, Barb, who's like says he's looking after the, after the place. Yeah, Minnie's uh, been gone a week. Yeah, supposedly. And you've got Oswaldo Mowbray, who, in context now of seeing the whole film, makes total sense. But I wondered what the fuck Tim Roth was doing when he opened his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Because he's got a very posh English accent, and it's a bit like watching Sean Bean try and do it in Gold Knights. Like that, that doesn't suit you. Um, <laughs> but obviously, later we find out what that's about, and you have got Joe Gage. But what or, is that or, about? Sorry, or, or as or as Michael Madsen says what, it, joking. What is what is that all about? Because he's but he, he his character is English anyway. So he's is, obviously put on. He puts on like a really posh. Yeah, uh, hello. Um, Terry Thomas style accent, and obviously he comes, he brings his Cockney out at the end. But um, he's um, he yeah, he's Cockney, <laughs> yes. Cockney accent. What well, I don't know, so Tim Roth's actual voice. <laughs> For, he start, he starts off handling his Terry Thomas, and by the end, he's got his Cockney right out. <laughs> no, but not not like Terry Thomas, like the kind of like yeah, hello, you know, kind of um, more upper class RP yes, English he, accent. He doesn't change the accent; he sort of changes the voice under that accent as well. Sure. But then it's kind of what, what you imagine. Like so who have you got the there? You've got those two. You've got a guy, Joe Gage. This he, he he is a quiet guy, um, and you've got a former Confederate general sat there as well. Mm. Now he's very old by this point, um, certainly as portrayed in the film, which tells you we're probably some time after the Civil War. We're pro- we, we've got to be maybe twenty years after. I'm guessing. So we're probably yeah. in the early 1880s, something like that, at a guess. Um, and he's basically, it's all about his missing son with him. He's on his way somewhere to, to sort of, he's still missing, but basically some kind of ceremony to put him to rest. Um, and immediately, John Ruth is extremely suspicious. In fact, he disarms all of them. Not yeah, that that for, happens not, later on. I mean, like, that happens when everyone get, gets in, but before that, like, the whole um, did the, the, the whole thing was like batting down the. Everyone the, has to keep hammering the door shut. Ah, uh, yes, we, we do have a this. bit of sort of almost housekeeping on the place because that door keeps coming yeah. open, and yeah, and then, yeah, and then they've got to put the horses away yeah. and all of that. So you you have on one level you got like uh, the, the the conversation between um, John Roof and Oswald Mobley, who happens to be the hangman. 
the sheriff, the person who's being hanged, the person delivering the person to be hanged, the hangman themselves. Yes, all very Gang's all here. So we know something's up here. Yeah. Somebody or multiple people are lying. And you have Bob uh, being questioned by uh, Samuel Jackson, who is basically sort of... He's the only one who actually knows... Uh, Minnie. Uh, we don't people. find this out yet. Now, Samuel L. Jackson knows Minnie, knows this place, has been there. We later find out because it's dropped in dialogue. He hasn't been there for about six months, but he has been there several times. And with what he reveals later, he's the one that we know knows something. Mm. And the reason we know he knows something is he's asking Bob questions. Later on, we know that he knows Bob isn't on the level. Yeah. He said, like, something is up, something doesn't doesn't add up, but he's keeping his cards close to his chest. Um, well, he's massively outnumbered anyway, yeah. so that's the point. He's got to get he's got to get a feel for who everybody else is first. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, but if he says, like, you accuse me of lying, it's like, sure sounds like it, but I haven't yet. <laughs> so, so anyway, um, the most... Uh, the most distressing element of this film for British people watching it is they've all got to drink coffee, they haven't got any fucking tea in. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, at least give Oswaldo at least give Oswaldo a choice. (laughs) With a China China cup as well, you know? Yeah. Pinkies up and everything. Um, so yeah, there's a lot around them sort of getting warm. Mm. Um, there's a lot around them obviously getting getting the door shut and the, the horses put away and all that sort of thing. Um, and we later find out there is some relevance to this. Um, they're all getting ready to have some stew and things like that. There is some food being mm. warmed for them. Um, and yeah, you're left in no doubt they need it. You really feel that they're cold. So lovely design to the film. I mean, the only thing is obviously it's the 70 millimeter film we spend most of it in inside like a glorified barn so um <laughs> which is an interesting choice but I, I think that was to add a bit of prestige to the film as well uh so where do we go from there yeah so uh, i think at that point so uh john roos suspicious he's like look one of these guys is not what they say they are um no. now is that just out of him being paranoid or is he or am i forgetting that he's picked up on something or it's just like, uh, no, something's not adding up. There's like too much coincidence going on. I think we've picked up on something's wrong. And it, it, it isn't just that they're suspicious. It's the fact that what we've just said. Yeah. Lay, if you lay out who everyone says there is, they are, for that all to be true, they've all got to be rolling into town at the exact same time from the exact same location. You know what I mean? Mm. It's, it's too much of a coincidence. Something's not quite right here. Marcus is the only one who knows for certain. But I think we just get the idea John Ruth has got... It's very like The Thing. What was yeah. his character called in The Thing? He was always the most suspicious, wasn't he? He did all the blood tests and stuff. Yeah, um, quite suspicious. He is the one that just has a bit of a nose for it, I think. Genuinely. I think he's just... This isn't quite right. I don't know who you are. I'm not quite sure why you're all here at the same time mm. like this. And What's of course, he, he asks for... The, he basically asks... He takes all the guns. Yeah, well, you takes like um, Joe Gage's and Oswald Mowley's gun because um, Bruce Stone hasn't got a gun. Yeah, um, but he doesn't take uh, Mannix's or one of those. I'm assuming he, he kind of like trusts them more because they got here with him. 
Yeah, I mean, he's he's yes. I think he, I mean they haven't shot him yet, have they? Do you know yeah. what I mean? They could have shot him, shot him, and taken taken the carriage. It 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 is specifically about those three people in there. Mm. They don't. He doesn't know who they are, and Minnie's not there, and things like that. There's it, just a few things around that. We don't get the impression John. We don't know if John Ruth's ever been there before. He's, it's not dropped in dialogue. The only one that gives him any trouble for the gun is Michael Madsen. He yeah. refuses. It's like well, you can try and take it from me. And again, another trust issue. To his credit, Marcus Warren steps in, puts his knife yeah. right up to Michael Watson's throat, actually draws blood, and you know, in, lets helps Ruth to take his gun. So that's again, you've got the letter and you've got that intervention. Mm. So Marcus is pretty much trusted by this point. Although there is some um, element of, of of a split in the room because you've got a Confederate soldier in there whose yeah. son has has been killed. By the North, yeah. if you like, Marcus fought for the North. Um, so there's a little bit of keep those two away from each other. Mm. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. He just Bruce Dern just doesn't want to sort of. He seems to be like doesn't want to talk to anyone anyway. He uses the N word a lot. I mean, yeah. he uses. Uh, uh, it's not actually used as much in this film as you might have thought. No, no but compared when, to but, but, when, but <laughs> compared not, to not compared to last week. No. Uh, but when it does come out of somebody's mouth, it's more often than not Bruce Stone, because yeah. he really is hateful towards that it's, it's, it's breed, suspected, as you would see it. It's suspected of his character, really, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm not obviously condoning yeah. it, but you know, you, you you wouldn't you'd expect him to say otherwise, wouldn't you? You so would you, expect you, him to be full of that. Yeah, yeah. You, you'd be, you'd be surprised well. if he wouldn't. He would, have a, he would have the aged attitudes in the room, relatively uh, uh, exactly. Um, so something's not quite right there because he's he's not really we don't know if it's his age or what but he's sat there he's not moving at all he doesn't mm. really move from that chair if at all no he doesn't um and again it, you've got Oswaldo trying to play the sort of um very British I suppose stepping in and saying well why don't we just divide the room and <laughs> and the bar is and the bar is Philadelphia in other words we can all go there <laughs> yep. <laughs> Um, oh, you know, Philadelphia obviously would have been yeah. well, you know, everyone listening knows what Philadelphia represents around that time yeah. so yeah everybody can go so uh, where do we go from there do we, do we start with the meeting yet they, they have some stew and I, I think Mannix questions the letter doesn't he yeah well it's basically it's all just character work but yeah we do get we do sort of he starts questioning the letter eat, eating, eating stew around the table uh, and Basically, he just calls him out. He goes like, "Here's the full story," and he just starts laughing and saying, "Like, you really believe that shit?" <laughs> and again, I'm glad he doesn't because I don't think he's a particularly good character, a uh, good actor. But I can hear Tarantino in that dialogue, and I don't just mean it sounds like his dialogue. I mean, literally, I can imagine him sat there doing that scene. Um, that's yeah, why he's I keep very much saying that character, isn't he? The Chris Mannix character is the one of these this lot where I'm saying, well, if he did make himself a main character, that's who it would be. Um, no, in him. It's very right? brave of him not to be in this. But whilst he's the, he's the narrator, um, but which it's very, fits it's very perfectly. Very it, to not... he's, te- he's telling us his stories. I don't mind him being the narrator at all. Yeah, but what um, be like a physical character? Well, they're having some stew. He wants to be left alone. I, I get the impression uh, Marcus has been asked about this a few times, and he just doesn't really want to get into the subject. And also, Mannix is from the south again, so there's a little bit of. It's quite um, spiky, isn't it? The scene where they're eating stew. Mm, very awkward. Yeah. 
And you've got Daisy cackling at everything. We haven't mentioned her a lot because she is quite a major character in this. But she's quite is, abrasive, isn't she? She's cackling at everything. There's a bit of her like enjoying the shit out of this, and we and later obviously we know why. Well, it's all. Yeah. I mean, the thing the thing with her character, it, a lot of it, particularly like for should we say the two first two thirds, it is just a lot reactionary. Just her like sort of either getting saying saying something just to piss people off, and then getting hit by. Someone. A lot of it is shit stirring. Yeah. Or just eyeballing people and kind of like, sort of just kind of, yeah, basically just being a massive wind up merchant and you don't know whether she knows something or she's just being a, a bit of a. Or whether it's almost literally gallows humour. I'm going to my death anyway, I'll just fuck yeah. shit up a bit. Yeah. yeah. But it's, oh, you always believe that in a character anyway. She's just that kind of outlaw, kind of really do not give a fuck. Kind of, kind of, kind of personality. Yeah. So, you know, it also adds a sense of like complete. Just this, this person cannot be, cannot, you know, just she's not adaptable to civil, civil um, society. She's just, she's just like too, too much. Of a there's something almost. Of... There's something almost feral about her. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh. So yeah. So but yeah. Basically, he calls calls her out on. He, you know, Manix calls him out on the on a letter, and he basically goes like, "Fuck it, no, yeah, I made it up." Which, hurts. but it's very much like, of course. I, what made me, what makes me laugh about it is Manix. It's very his whole tone is like, "How would anyone think that's a true story?" Hmm. And actually, Marcus's reply is, "Well, of course it isn't fucking true. <laughs> Why do you think I, I'm a black man? Of course I've got to use something." Yeah, and yeah. He, this kind of obviously it, it shoes his trust for you know John for John Roof. He's like, well, you like John to me. actually looks hurt. Yeah, genuinely, there is that he tells does. you everything you know again about this guy's ethics. I guess I'm reluctant to say moral simply because of of what we know about his violence to to the person in his charge. But <clears throat> we know we know that, like you say, there's a moral compass there, and he actually looks really hurt by this. Hmm. And he th- and then yeah, Jackson, you say justifies it in a way, in in a sense that look, I have to do whatever it takes, you know. And he got me on that wagon, essentially m- m- proved a point. Uh, Which is true because if he didn't have that letter in his pocket, yeah, that's the one thing you you might say that he would have done the same things had he been white, i.e., John Ruth would have put him through the same thing, but. Without that letter, I yeah, don't we could have just act- left him out there, really. But then he, the, out- the like, outcome may not have been the same. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we don't know. He could have just gone like, yeah, fuck it. If you if asked nicely enough, okay, he could have done. But, but, but yeah, I think for the, but fact, it, for the fact that yeah. it's found it's foundation on a lie, that's what it. That's what thing it really. That's his point of saying, and that it's still no down dirty trick. You know, and, and I and think that, it's that he's been lied to as well. Yeah. They, had, they had this moment where they talked to each other, and it was, you know, it was very, it was very much open and cards on mm-hmm. the table about who they are. And there was, you know, he could have said once they were inside the carriage, that is a fake. But you can see why he wouldn't. Mm. So yeah, the, 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 you can see you can see his point where they think sort of establishes that Samuel Jackson's character is a survivor at all costs. You know, he. I think he's the sort of the thing that's hateful about him is like what what's just you know, is the fact that he really only cares about himself, but he has a little bit of he like doesn't actually care about anyone else's feet like consideration. 
Um, and we'll get to the next scene as well, which does feel, even though you don't have sympathy for his, for the person that, that he's that he's gonna do it to, you you kind of think the whole mentality of it is not pleasant. Um, which go on, lead us on to that then. It's uh, we, well, well, basically after that, he sort of skews them from the dinner table and, and then makes himself a stew and hands it to uh, Bruce Dern's character. Ah, yeah, okay. So they've they've kept them. They've kept. That's what I thought you were going to, but I wasn't certain. Um, they 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 have kept these two apart. Now he mentions. I don't know if it's at the start of the scene or in an earlier scene. He mentions about the Battle of Baton Rouge. I think it is, mm. where Bruce Dern's Confederate soldiers captured uh, a load of soldiers, including I, th- I, th- I think it's put to us they're predominantly black. And none of them survived to be prisoners or anything. They all surrendered and they were killed. Yeah. And Bruce Dern very venomously spits out. Now, Bruce Dern was, was, uh, had a little sort of almost cameo as a slave owner of Django last week. He's very, very good at this kind of spiteful old man routine now. And he basically spits out. He said, we didn't have enough food for... And you think he's going to say to keep these soldiers alive, but he references the horses first. And he said, we certainly didn't for, and obviously uses the N-word. And it's just really, really spiteful. That's a little earlier, I think, because he doesn't go right into his talk here. But here, he hands him the stew and references knowing his son. Yeah. I mean, at first, there's a little bit of like, you know, we shared a battlefield with this man. And there's a little bit of sense of like, okay, let's just break truce. Let's just like, let's just start being soldier, soldier to soldier. Let's just we're stuck them. here and we're both soldiers, whatever yeah. we fought for. So yeah. it doesn't immediately... I didn't know. I didn't know about the scene when I walked in. So I, I wasn't aware this was going to go in a nasty direction, certainly at this stage. Because mm. we're still relative... We're, we're just over halfway through the film now. Yeah, and we're still obviously sort of liking Samuel Jackson's character. He's like one of the characters who we kind of semi-trust, really. There doesn't uh, seem to be any particular spite about the man. Mm. But then, is it spiteful to hate somebody who subjugated, fought for the subjugation of your race? Well, so I, no, it's I, I not. It I is. mean, you don't, you know, you don't expect them to like each other. There uh, is no, there is no sympathy for the Bruce Dern character anyway, yeah. because every time he opens his mouth, it's spite, it's spiteful. We're, we're, yeah. we're quite, we're quite happy to see Marcus do this. What's coming? He might be a bit overly cruel with it, but the very basic that he ended up killing him is like. Yeah, that's fair enough. I think it's it's not so it's the manner of of how it's how it's achieved. Uh, I think it's you know you you start to have to sort of like question your sort of your, your your morality when it comes when it comes to something like that. I do I do feel like very uneasy. Think like a, you you tap into something that's really kind of cruel and vindictive because essentially what you, what he's doing is manipulating an old old guy so he can have permission to shoot him. Yeah. What we get here is is what it what it is. It is not as uh, memorable as the Path of the Righteous Man because I cannot recount much of it, but it is one of the best speeches of his career. Uh, he's as- absolutely mesmeric, and what you need to add to it again, and I've I've hinted at this earlier in the review that in Pulp Fiction he stood in one place looking directly at one man on a chair, and he walks side to side a bit. But there isn't much room. It's a small little living room. Here, he has to has to build a bit of geography into his performance as well. He's moving around a little bit with it, 
and he's telling the story about how he had um i've forgotten the name now bruce stone's character um his son effectively surrendered to him yeah they were in the snow and all he wanted was a blanket yeah. to stay warm the the character uh smithers that was it he he wanted a he wanted a blanket and in return to give him a blanket which he didn't end up giving him Samuel L. Jackson made this guy suck his dick. Mm. Crawl in the snow. Suck, Crawl in the snow. I think he was even with, naked. With, with the detail saying that, yeah, and it was warm because you know blood in his mouth, so it was warm too. You know that kind of like ah. Uh, uh, yeah. So 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 he he makes sure to tell us that a he implies he's got a big dick, which plays on like racial stereotyping as well. Whether that racial mm-hmm. stereotype was there then, I don't know. So he, he's telling his, he's telling this guy's. The, the father of this guy that he has a big dick and the blowjob was really good and he gave in quite quickly and then when it cuts to like the flashback of it Samuel L. Jackson's laughing exactly as he is telling the yeah. story which is obviously deliberately stylized if indeed the story is true which it isn't I'm, I can be fairly certain this story is not true. He just made uh, it up just to get him, get him to shoot him. Yeah, before he starts telling this story, he puts a gun down right beside him, mm-hmm. so he's got something to reach for. Um, and I love the fact he looks at the camera and says, "You're getting images in your mind now, aren't you?" Because mm-hmm. <laughs> start, start seeing pictures yet? Start seeing pictures yet? That's it. Um, so he reads, but Bruce Dern reaches for the gun and then he is shot. Yeah. And Samuel old um, Marcus knows exactly what he's doing. And so does Chris Maddox as well. He's, he calls it out straight away. He's like, he's like saying, like, general, yeah. he's just trying to get, he's just trying to get, make to shoot him. Yeah. Uh, which makes what, which makes Chris Maddox an interesting character because it, Walton Goggins always plays his characters a little bit, almost slightly clueless and excitable, but he's actually one of the smartest men in the room. Hmm. He knows what's going on at each stage. He actually calls out who did what at the end as well, or at least he calls out that Joe what Joe, that Joe Gage was the one who poisoned the coffee. Um, yeah, so uh, <laughs> that's where the um, for those of you who never saw it with the intermission, where he where he shoots him, uh, Marcus kind of looks at the camera. Um, or smiles and smiles, and that's where the intermission was. Yeah, that's where the intermission goes. Yeah, yeah. We don't have the the sync, the um, I was gonna say the sexy organ music that comes with the. I think Python it's more the fa- I think it's more the fact that we've just had a long speech about sucking a big black cock, and then they expect <laughs> you to go out and buy a hot dog. <laughs> this is it. Or take a bite of your hot dog that you may have bought previously. <laughs> no, I remember going to see that cinema, and then my friends that next to me, she literally like turned next to me and goes, uh, "There's an intermission." I was like, "Yes." It was a very odd occurrence. Like, I was, I say, I was happy with it, but I was <laughs> happy with it. And all I mean is, I'm perfectly happy for this film to have an intermission. What I was less happy about is View sticking one in falsely in the non-roadshow version. No. You know what I mean? There's no intermission put, put into the Blu-ray. Well, don't. Yeah, don't. Oh, well, excuse me. Don't add one in just for the sake of it. Yeah. Um, and what I like is it carries on in real time, which is another thing that reminds me of um, Reservoir Dogs. In that it's fairly real time in the actual um, garage itself in Reservoir Dogs. Mm. Um, here, when it comes back, we go straight to uh, Tarantino voiceover, which basically says it's been fifteen minutes. Yeah, um, and yeah. and they, what this is what they've been doing. They've actually been debating whether what Marcus just did was legal, 
Marcus uh, has some legal acumen and knows immediately what he did was, at least from a legal standpoint, defensible, so he's not particularly worried. Yeah, he's just like sort of sat drinking brandy. Um... Yeah, he looks really chilled out about it all. What the narrator also tells us, and I would have forgotten this if I hadn't watched this right before we recorded, because I thought we only found out about the poison when the vomiting starts. But actually, the, the narrator calls it out. Whilst he's giving that speech, and you see the same speech from a different angle, the, 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 the coffee pot is being poisoned. Mm. And only Daisy has seen it yeah. happen. Hence, this chapter is called Daisy's Secret. That's what Tarantino said. That's a very good impression. That wasn't bad, actually. No, pretty good. Oh, you. you did it last week. When I was editing, you were talking about when um, Jamie Foxx started yeah. doing his before. And Tarantino pulled him aside, because, and you uh, actually did it. To- what the fuck was you, that? You, you, you did it totally <laughs> that, in his cadence. It's not that was pretty good. Pretty it's good. Got his, it's got his cadence. It's quite funny. Well, yeah. But yeah, was, so, yeah that's, Chris that's does have the voice of an angel, don't you know? Mm. Um, now, what I, I'm struggling to remember is what if anything happens between this poisoning and the vomiting starting? Do we get Daisy's song? We do, don't we? Yeah, he's, yeah. She's like, she's like, sort of asked to play to play a song, and she she. Plays this by watching everyone. She take she watches um, John Roof take a sip of coffee because, and then nope. and then then plays it and he's like, oh, that's a good song. Uh, you got Is verse? there another verse? <laughs> and she plays it. They also it. um, they they also um that guitar they borrowed like a period guitar from like a museum or something. Yeah, fun fact. Uh, uh, am I stepping on a fun fact? No, not at all. My okay, unfortunately, good. my untimed my no 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 Midway no, no, fun oh, fact folks. No, there's not. The glorious return. <laughs> the glorious return of Morricone. I was sad um, last week. Um, no, they they um they they when they were meant to smash a replica, they smashed the real one by mistake. Oh no! So that that museum does not give out any of its stuff anymore. <laughs> yeah, that right too. They smashed. They smashed like a, whoops. Yeah, they, they smashed like a hundred and fifty oh year old guitar. That was a proper, was, period, proper period guitar as well. No, that's really interesting. Yeah, they had a copy ready to break, and then they broke the real one by mistake. Nope. <laughs> they should have just handed the copy and go like, "Here you go." Well, <laughs> see if they I, noticed. This doesn't yeah. look great, you know. Yeah, but then it would look like the one made out of camphor wood in Red Dwarf or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was just about to mention that actually. I thought that was quite funny. <laughs> yeah, it's like it doesn't even when you look at it, it doesn't even look real. Yeah. Um, no. Yeah, they smashed a priceless fucking guitar. It was insured. <laughs> it can't be priceless because it was insured. It was a piece of guitar, Expensive. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I'd have noticed, but again, he wanted the period details right, and so he, he got one of that age. I, I don't know. I didn't notice. Having known that story before I watched it tonight, I didn't notice anything particularly remarkable about it, but it, obviously it was of the era. So that allows some time. That song allows some basically some time for the mm. poison. I think maybe the strings might have been a bit different, but that's all. I know, I, but I, I can't I really do much to it, unfortunately. I don't know. I, I don't, I'm going to... I am... Oh, antique... It's, it's, I've looked it up. Here we go. The guitar destroyed by Russell's character was not a prop, but an antique 1870s Martin guitar oh lent by the Martin Guitar Museum. According to sound producer Mark Alano, the guitar was supposed to have been switched with a copy to be destroyed, but this was not communicated to Oh, dear. Russell. <laughs> no one told Oops. Kurt Russell. Everyone on the set was pretty freaked out at the guitar's destruction, and Lee's, re- Lee's reaction was genuine. 
Tar- oh, Tarantino was in a corner of the room with a funny curl on his lip because he got something out of it with the performance. Yeah. Museum director Dick Boak said the museum was not, not told that the script included a scene that called for a guitar being smashed and determined that it was irreparable. The, re- the insurance remunerated the purchase value of guitar. As a result of the incident, the museum no longer lends guitars to film production. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, so Jennifer Jason Lee was aware this was a like priceless guitar. So when she looks really fucking like stunned by it, it's because only Kurt Russell knew to smash that one. <laughs> you think that, and it's because it's done in one shot, isn't it? There probably might have been meant to be a cutaway, or perhaps yeah, I don't know. Anyway, there you go. That was that. Uh, so they sit down again. He uh, smashes a guitar. Reshackles her to him, and she's like, um, no, 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 and you just think, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> but yeah, but you, yeah, but you think uh, that she's like, oh no, don't want to be shackled together. Really, she's thinking, oh shit, he's, yeah, she, he's, he's she's about stop. to die, and like now I'm, I'm going to be shackled to a dead man, and I'll be I still easy to... never, I never really twigged that. Of course, of yeah. course, she doesn't want to be shackled to him. It's got nothing to do with the guitar and not being able to play it. Um. And he no, just he, she, yeah, because yeah, she, she gets shackled to me. She's like, she's like, oh, no, I'm shackled again. At the time, you think that, but then you you think... Uh, yeah, because within, no. within a minute or so, he's vomiting blood. Yeah. After he's... Uh, I think he headbutts or a punch or before yeah. that. But yeah, he, yeah. Vom- he vomits blood, and then she looks right up, and right ahead of her is OB, and he vomits as well. So they're the two that have just eaten the co- drunk the coffee. Mm. Just as he vomited blood, uh, uh, Mannix had the coffee at his yeah. lips. Which, from a trust perspective, helps him because Marcus saw that, saw where well, you you damn nearly drank it. I could mm. see that was genuine. Yeah. And so, yeah, she he basically so after beating uh, Donahue up for a little bit or trying to, well, you know, thrown up on her, she he warns uh, Manix and he throws it away, and then next thing you know, Daisy's got a gun, and shoots him. And then that's uh, end of Kurt Russell. Hmm. Yeah, um, really, really strong cast though, because there's still plenty there to sort yeah. of carry it on. But yeah, yeah, he's really good in this. And yeah, then Samuel Jackson turns up with the gun, and and, ba- and that's basically when we start having the Inquisition. You know, uh, okay, everyone up against the wall. Uh, I know nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. Yes. <laughs> do we do we have that before the flashback or not? Yeah, that, that, this is before. Um, okay. The flashbacks happens once the floor, uh, the person under the floorboards makes themselves known. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, he knows he can trust Chris Mannix because, again, he was about to drink the coffee. So he knows, like, okay, well, at least you're not in with this lot. Um, so there's a, re- there's, a, there's a certain amount of trust going on there. And they're basically sort of going through, like, okay, well, let's look at the evidence. And he starts revealing stuff about Mexican Bob. What he knows. Okay. Which was, um, basically, basically, apart from like what we already know and like that that high likeness of the story, the fact that, uh, well, you know, I've never known uh, the stuff about the stew always tastes the same. Uh, that stew we've just had today that tastes exactly the same. Yeah, which is stuff you never really think about, but I think, oh, yeah, it's all the little just, details, isn't it? It's great detail. He said he basically says he was brought up, and he says on a plantation. So whether that means he was a slave, probably, or his family were anyway, 
he had um he, he was he grew up a fan of stew basically his mother used to cook a stew yeah. so he always eats stew that the, that's the relevance of that bit of the story i grew up eating stew so where i go i eat stew he said now admittedly i've not been here for six months he said so i can't be certain he said but that is minnie's stew he said and you've said she's not been up here for a week so how did she make a stew this morning and of course, it wouldn't have lasted. The week is important. It's not like it was rewarmed from yesterday. Mm. It's this morning. Um, they've said a week. There's no way any food's going to last a week and, it, and taste any, any good. So that's Minnie's. Second point is Bob is Mexican. And Minnie famously hates Mexicans and used to have a sign up saying, no dogs, no something else, no Mexicans. Yeah. And she took the sign down because she started so liking the, dogs. She <laughs> dogs, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, it's, so it's like, so well, you know, Bob makes a point. Well, you know, I wasn't me who poisoned the uh, the coffee because I was over there playing cyanide on that piano. And she's like, well, I know you don't, you don't poison the coffee. You didn't say that, but no, but yeah, you didn't say that at all. But he no, said, but yeah, yeah, you're not, but you're not who you say you are. Yeah. So you're, and, and then, and for that, he just basically just shoots him. Uh, <laughs> down goes in your bar. Um, really dispassionately shoots him a couple of times. Yeah, yeah. He, he he does enjoy killing people, doesn't he? In this film, for Tommy Jackson. <laughs> he does. So yeah. they're, they're, then we're basically sort of up to the last two, and Mannix is basically got his eyes set on um, Joe Gage. He's like, I'm looking at you. He's Look. convinced. That he is absolutely convinced it's Joe Gage. Now, I don't know. Is this just going off a gut feeling? Or is, it, is he going off... I, I don't... I always I read don't, that he's some reason he didn't like him for some reason. No, I, I, I never saw that he had any, like, evidence of that at all. I think I always just... I've always just taken that of, no, you're something a bit shifty about you. Now, if he was genuinely off to be a sheriff, then perhaps perhaps he just, again, a bit like John Ruth, has a bit of an eye for these things. Mm. Possibly. But no, there is no smoking gun. He's just decided, no, I'm, I don't trust you. Yeah. Uh, and I always thought maybe there was something about them that he just didn't like. Like, he just has a prejudice against him, or there was, that was something I've always missed. But, yeah, you, you are probably right. It's just like a, like a sense of it. Uh, so... And then basically we get the, the big build-up for what happens there. And then Samuel, gets, Samuel Jackson gets suddenly shot by someone under the floorboards. In the balls. Yes. Um, in the balls. Yeah. yeah. Quite painful. Ah, that's, that, that's, that actually helps me place the flashback, yeah. Because obviously you can't get the flashback till you're aware there's somebody under there. Mm. He oh. just gets shot in the ball. And he's bossing this scene up until that point. He's utterly bossing this scene. And um, it, it's really like, it, it's a bit stunning when that happens. It does come out of nowhere. Walt, Gogg, Walt Goggins' reactions are fucking picture as well. It's really they are brilliant, yeah. aren't they? Because obviously there's a moment of like, is there somebody under my fucking balls too? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Mm. It's really great. And then, and then we... Yeah, and then uh, also Moldy has, has a gun that we didn't yet know about and shoots... Um... Maddox, Maddox shoots shoots him in return. Yeah, we go slow motion on yeah. that, which is uh, I don't normally like that gimmick, but it's done really well. Yeah, so I think we it's done. Show, I, don't know, it I was, was going to say like in a tasteful way, but I do think that's possible. It's actually to show us what how it happens. It's literally yeah. to get the geography of it right. Oh, he pulls on him first. He pulls on yeah. him. 
then that amps right. So now he's injured. Right, okay. Yeah, I've we, got where we, I am. We, we kind of could have done that with Westworld Dogs when the when the standoff really just to kind of yeah. like, oh okay. <laughs> It, it it pulls it, it shows it slows it down to actually make sure we get the detail. I don't think it is particularly a gimmick. Particularly, yeah. I don't think it is anyway. But it looks it looks pretty good. So now you've got Samuel L. Jackson shot in the balls. You've got uh, Walton Goggins shot. Is it in the leg? Mm-hmm. And you've got um, Oswaldo shot somewhere. I think he might have been shot in the gut. I can't remember yeah. where it landed now. Yeah, he, he's he's shot in a. In a... A fatal but slow moving, like sort of slow fatally moving wound. You know, it's like very like Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, same oh, basic yeah, of principle. He, of course, he actually he actually references it as well. He said, "Well, you know, I'm probably going to die in the next two or three days." Yeah, which is exactly what he's told in. You know, you can live two or three days like this. He's told that in Reservoir Dogs. I think now I think about it, it's a deliberate callback. Um. And yeah, then we get the flashback. Oh, this, now, to be honest, this is the scene I was referring to before. Well, I thought it's not very really needed. I don't think we need to see that what happened before. I like it. I mean, I like the scene itself, but I just mm. think it's a bit redundant. It's telling us stuff that we don't, we already kind of figure out or we don't really need to know. It doesn't help the film in any way. The only, the only thing it really tells us is why um, Smithers is there. That's that is the only. It, it, that's the only thing. It just explains that. But other, but. Beyond that, it's just a bit indulgence, really. Sort of like, oh, okay, well, let's have a look. See, let's just have a look. See what happened to Minnie, and you know, and let's see them all get killed. Well, we can kind of assume that happened. I think a lot of the time, I think it kind of just takes you out of the film. That's my that's my opinion. Um, I mean, I like the fact it takes us right up to. Um, I like that uh, Tarantino does occasionally like to show us the same scene from a different angle, hmm. so. We see a little bit of the path of the righteous man from our with from Alexis Arquette's angle later in that film, if you remember. And I like the fact that we um, go to what do we go? I, I like the fact that we take them right up to kick the door in, mm. which is where it starts in the haberdashery. Um, I like this scene. It, it just it, it fills in details. I don't find it unnecessary. You can look at the length of it, maybe, or anything like that. But right down to those little clues we saw, like the drop sweets, um, the covers over the chair, which again would, would now Marcus would have noticed that because that's like effectively in their world quite a famous chair. I, d- I don't mean only in that like everyone who goes there knows that Dave's chair. He's the only one that sits on it when he leaves and goes anywhere. He takes that chair with him. If a chair is that famous, it would be like Martin's in Frasier. You can picture it immediately. If you know that chair, you know what it looks like. And when they get there, it's it's draped in like, um, like a like a rug, basically. Rugs. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I couldn't think of the word all of a sudden, but yeah, it's draped in rugs. Let's say. Um, blankets, I think I meant to say. It's draped in blankets. So again, we're explaining why there's something that's slightly off there. Um, Smithers doesn't move. Now, that could be age, but actually we now realise it could be fucking fear, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, he's basically told to just sort of like, look, just sit there. Sit down, don't say up. fucking words. Sit there, don't fucking move, and be very careful what you say. So he doesn't say a hell of a lot until no. he's effectively goaded into. Well, not goaded because he 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 does it. He doesn't take much goading to racially abuse Samuel L. Jackson's character. No, he but, does it all on his own. But he's goaded, but he's not goaded. What I mean is, he's go. He doesn't need much goading to do it. That, mm. it 
the very fact he's got to share a, a place with this guy is, is enough. So it fills in that detail. It fills in why Minnie's not there. We get to meet Minnie. I actually quite like the fact we meet Minnie. It was quite fi- funny to find she was a person of colour and it turned out she fucking hated Mexicans. I found that quite <laughs> in its way. You know, we meet Sweet Dave and all the rest of it. I don't even hate Zoe Bell in this scene. I mean, I, mm. philosophically, I have a problem with continually casting a non-actress, but she suits this role really well. And as I say, after last week, Tarantino could have put himself in a dress. Who knows? Um, <laughs> he could have come in and, and done it, to be honest. I mean, yeah, to be so, fair, it's, it's very much a kind of like a, a very small part. And she does is just introduce everybody. And she's all like perky and sweet and welcome. She's almost like a hostess for the place. She isn't. but that's, She's the hostess with the mistress. Hostess with the most. She's kind of sweet in this scene. I kind of like her in it. She's okay. Um, it, 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 it does it does add a little bit of like, add a bit brutality to the villains. You think, oh, you fucking bastards. Yeah, they're yeah. totally unnecessary. And, that's, I mean, that's what it's for, really. It's just kind of got a contrast there, haven't you? Blowing a fucking face off in the end as well. So there's a brutality to them all. I think if they're this famous gang, we need to fucking see them. Yeah. Um, uh, in, their, in their normal oh. sort of personas, if you like. Um, it, it contextualizes Tim Roth talking so oddly that it's just, it's a guy who isn't an actor. Tim Roth is, but Oswald, you know, his character isn't. I'm, he, not, I'm not sure why he does the accent, though. Like, what was the point of the accent? Um, there would be generic descriptions of this gang, I would have thought. And it, it, you never know who's heard of those who's heard those descriptions. Yeah, that, that's a good point. That's a good point. So he's talking more politely. It would have been like, oh, I mean, it's his... not like modern day where you got photos or footage yeah. or anything. There's going to be a description of right. You got this big, fairly gruff-spoken guy, dark hair. You know, you've got a, an English guy. Sounds like you know, if they knew what London, they might say, oh, the London accent or whatever. They wouldn't expect a well-spoken gentleman. Yeah, yeah, and of true. course. Um, Mexican, I guess he could have said he was Spanish or something. He probably could have thrown something off and perhaps chosen a better name than Bob. But um, so, yeah, I guess I, I've never found this. Thing. You're not the first person who said it, and I won't argue too much because I think lots of people have said this scene's unnecessary. I find it entirely necessary. I find it entirely ne- necessary to contextualize these villains, actually uh, elaborate the clues we've just seen. And all the rest of it. I, I really, I, I like the scene, and I like the fact it takes us right back to where we were. Gives us enough of a break from it that we almost forget the present day for a minute. It's quite yeah. an engrossing scene. And Channing Tatum, which at the moment I saw him, I thought Channing Tatum in this role. Then he turned out to be really good in it. I thought, anyway. Yeah, well, he's basically uh, doing like Clint Eastwood type sort of outlaw kind of guy. Like, well, the way he's talking to Bruce Dern as well, like he means yeah. fucking business. I mean, he's often cast as a bit of a pretty boy type. I thought he was very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's he does fine with what he has to do. Uh, you know, they've also got they've got the the red apple cigarettes there. They're sort of smoking, yeah. um, and that and that. And the, I I I do agree because to be honest, I do actually like the scene itself. I mean, that's one of the quandaries I have. Where it's like I do really like the I like the scene in isolation, and I do I do get what you're saying in terms of adds adds a little bit of context. But it's just on the grand scheme of it. Do we need it? Does it add? Does it add? Do a... you feel? Do you feel then, Chris? Is is it that you're saying you feel it just takes energy out of the film? I just think it adds length to the film that doesn't necessarily need it. I think you could add certain things just by add uh, lines of dialogue if you really so need it. Like the stuff with okay. like the the stuff about the chair. It's like, well, that's explained within the film anyway. 
we don't need to have that see have to see like um uh day being stabbed in the back we you know we 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 can kind of like imagine while he's been murdered we can we we are we are kind of like so we have our own imagination so i i guess had this scene not been in we would have like we would have had a, a like sort of our own interpretation of what Minnie would have been like or what it would have been like you know those kind of thing. I, I think I kind of I prefer that. I prefer to kind of like let our own imaginations kind of like go go through. You know, sort of set the scene as I say, rather than that will actually show me. You know, do you know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. Okay. But I do get what you're saying, and I do actually like the scene itself. So I mean, that's, I, I that's don't. My... I, I might not agree, but like you've just argued that really well. I think okay. that is a really valid argument. I just don't know. I happen to agree. What do you think, Becca? Actually, I would really agree with both of you. Um, it does kind of add a lot to the scene, especially where Mexican Bob is concerned. Um, but no, I think that's that's one talent of um, one talent of Tarantino is how like you know these things kind of would keep us guessing. But actually, no, he's going to go in and fill in those gaps with the minutiae and important detail that we didn't know we needed. Um, it's one I think um, Robert Key said you know should never you should never put flashbacks in the movie. But then obviously Casablanca, etc., etc., etc. Um, it does add context to Mexican Bob. To be fair, it does let us let, let us see him out of that shell of that kind of like big fur coat kind of thing. It you know it does that. I mean, the other thing I will add is we do see Sam Jackson. Is it Sam? Yeah, well, it's Sam Jackson who, who observes the the sweet jar and think like, oh, there's a gap there. Hmm. Yeah. And then well, no, was exactly. That's it. I mean, it would it would kind of fill in a lot of gaps, but um, no, I, I think it is it is necessary. Um, to be fair, as, as much as it does kind of elongate the whole film, but I, I do enjoy. I mean, we enjoy didn't the scene. It disagree with gaps. each other. I mean, like Chris sees my point. I see I see his, and the scene is pretty good. To be fair, um, and it takes us, but it does take us right up to kick the door in. They had four. We're told they had four hours to put the place right. Which what you know, and they they talk to we see them talk to Bruce Stern and all the rest of it, and he they, he's quite charming when he spares him in a strange kind of way, Channing Tatum. He's like, do you realise how close you you've got to be like killed there? Um, they throw the bodies down the well, they clean the place up, they do everything they need, they get settled just in time for kick the door in, which is where the film effectively started, or the haberdashery stuff started, and then we cut to final sin, and what was it? Black man, white hell. The last, mm, uh, the last chapter, and it's it's um, it's really odd. It, it does feel like the film's been on pause because we're suddenly returned back to, and the, the haberdashery looks different now. Everyone's been sort of shot, and it's dark, and everything yeah. else. It, it it suddenly feels different, and you'd forgotten that with the flashbacks. The flashback had been to that morning. So yeah, everything's all changed. So. Samuel Jackson makes his way to the bed, essentially just like pretty much fucked. Uh, yes. And then, then, yeah, he's not going to be walking again for a while. But yeah, they call, his balls have been shot off. <laughs> yeah, they, they call out um, Channing Tatum uh, because he basically threatened, like, look, I'll shoot Daisy right in the head if you don't come out right now. Because of so, Yeah. After two, he's like, no, 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 no. He comes right out. Uh, and throw your gun. I'm not another gun. Oh, you better shit out another gun because I'm about to shoot. I love that line. I don't think I would have liked it on the page. I think it just was performed so well. He <laughs> says, "Get his other gun." And Walt's going, "Well, how do you know he's got another gun? He's got another gun." Okay, I don't have another gun. Well, you better shit out another gun. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. See. Okay. And he's like, yeah. Um, 
and he, and he comes out and they have, and they have a little brief little uh, they have like a little I forgot what nickname he has for a but they have a like it's clear affection between you two and then Tommy Jackson just shoots him in the head so they just like yeah. just brain yeah. splatter uh, whenever anyone gets hurt she gets like splattered with a lot of it it's yeah. just really looking a right mess at this point but yeah he was he was what was it he was giving up well he was doing it too slowly so I, <laughs> <laughs> so I did it for uh, him yeah <laughs> yeah and this is this is I don't know 20 minutes half an hour of the film just this bit but it's great all, all of this stuff um, uh, Oswaldo we now find is, is Pete Hickok hmm. uh, he is sat in a chair bleeding out. Michael Madsen at this stage hasn't been hurt, so he sits at a table. He's put a gun under it. We didn't realise that. He put a gun under it earlier. I don't know if we saw that in the flashback. Probably not. Did, yeah. But there's a gun under there. Alright, so we know and they don't know. That's cool. Uh, Daisy, uh, at some point during this, gets shot in the toe, but that's after she explains who she is. Hmm. Um, Walt Goggins has been shot in the leg and actually faints at one point because he's just He's just ble- he's bleeding out well, too. Well, they, they start making well, like, uh, a deal, really, don't they? They start like sort of they, they're basically at a standoff. She uh, explains who they are. Yeah, she explains who they are. That was uh, Jody Domagu, hmm. who is the the fifty thousand bounty on his head, which would have been gigantic in this era. Bear in mind, last week was we it were fifty talking or fifteen? I thought it was fifty. But I might have heard. I mean, I that does make more sense when the rest yeah. of them are at like tens and twelves. So you're probably right, Chris. There's a the biggest bounty is on his head because it's his gang. Uh, he's Pete Hickok. There's a uh, Tim Roth is speaking with his normal accent now. He is got he's got ten on his head. Daisy's got ten on her head. That now makes sense. And I presume uh, Michael Madsen's character has as well. I can't remember what they said. One of them's got twelve on their head. I forget which one now. Um, and so basically, the, the deal. The deal is if if they let them go, um, or they yeah if they can get them out of there, uh, she's claiming she's got a gang of fifteen on their way. I don't kind of believe that to be honest with you, and neither does neither does Marcus. Um, she's just saying I, anything. I at did this wonder point. whether that was Pete true. Pete knows he's gonna. I never, I never thought that was true. Yeah, I mean, like my first instinct was like, well, if you had like a gang, like an extra gang of fifteen, why don't you just ramsack the the carriage on the way? Why why did you go through this whole plan? Uh, but again, again, I guess you have to come up with something because even if you're plus the carriage... their gang is notorious as as a four or well, a five actually. Their gang is notorious yeah. as a five. You had Jody, his sister, and the other three of the they play. So um, I don't think. Yeah, I mean it could be. I mean, Tar- if Tar- it, it it's true. If in Tarantino's head, it's true. If you like. So if he ever if he's ever commented in an interview, whatever he says is the case. But as I watch it, it's not true. Because yeah. um, no way she's trying to do a deal to basically say, well, we need to we're taking jo- Jody's. No, we're taking Jody's body mm. because he's got kids and we want to give him, you know, lay him to rest properly. You can take Pete and Bob's body with you and get the bounty for that. And that's the deal. And he looks like he's going to go for it for a minute, but he doesn't. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, that, what, I forget because doesn't doesn't after the, the deliberating doesn't Joe Gage start like seeing seeing opportunity to basically end it, and he gets shot. He gets shot in the most inelegant fashion ever, and I don't know if that's Michael Madsen's age or his weight or what, but 
he, he he's put a gun under the table. He pulls that out, goes to fire. He's shot by Sam. Well, he's shot by both of them. Actually, yeah. they both they both spot this and shoot him before he can do any damage. Slow motion, but again, I don't have a yeah. problem with that because it's just getting the timings in our head of like, right, as he pulled that gun, he was shot by then and so on. But the way he sort of goes down just looks mm. the most inelegant thing in the fucking world, particularly as in slow motion, it should naturally have an air of sort of kind of cool to it. Um, and then, uh, so Jackson, he's dead. Yeah, Jackson then like instantly sort of, as soon as that happens, he goes, goes to shoot Daisy and then it's like, he's out of bullets. And then that, that, from that, they go like, okay, well, you, you've yeah, got... Yeah, they shoot Pete again. Yeah, you've they got... They shoot Pete yeah. again. And then from that, they kind of like, okay, deal's still there. You can take Joe. Yeah. And that, that's... that's he's like, out of bullets. That, and that's, then, that's 20. He's plus... out of bullets, then, yeah, Manix faints. Yeah. And then there's like That's a... what gives us our last bit of tension, he's out of bullets. Yeah. There's guns, there's various guns around the room somewhere... She just needs to get herself free from John Ruth. Yeah. And and yeah, and he's helpless to move because he's been shot in the balls. So that's the last bit of the film, basically, that she's she's just about to sort of get her way. And uh, Goggins comes, uh, Mannix comes around just in time to sort of. Yeah. Kill her. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't kill her, just shoots her in the shoulder. Um, and then I kind of like the fact that it's like, should we shoot her again? And it's like, no, we'll hang her. Yeah. Because why? Because of John Ruth. Mm. And, then, and it's just well, no, he was taking her to be hanged. That's what was supposed to happen to her. Yeah, and I am the sheriff, so it's our last. It's my last act in this yeah. kind of yeah. This, it's, it's my first and last. <laughs> yeah. And also, yeah. Yeah. And also so they, they, they sort of drag her up. Yeah. It's also like kind of almost like a retribution for. You know, it's like, so, like after, after like lying to John Ruth before, you know, almost saying it's like, okay, well, I'm gonna respect his memory. I'm gonna, no, we're gonna. He, he, he was, he, he was the guy. You're straight. We're gonna respect his memory. He, he saved your life. He saved mine. Mm. Right. Let's, let's do it. So the, uh, yeah. they, they sit there and go like the, the hangless bitch, and they, and you got two guys who, fucking hate each other, but are kind of like. <laughs> Of kind of made, like made amends and kind of like sort of. Um, I am surpri- I'm surprised they've got. The, I'm actually. Su- I'm surprised they've got the strength to do this. I'm yeah. surprised they've got the strength to do this. Yeah. But they hang her. We we see her die reasonably graphically. Um, we see her sort of struggling for life and trying to sort of grab at her neck. She doesn't overplay it particularly. And then they sit and read his letter. <laughs> it's like yeah, old 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 Mary Tard is calling. That's a nice touch. He screws up, and like, yeah, I thought so. <laughs> <laughs> that end, end, end with and that's uh, it. yeah. Final thoughts, ladies and gents. Yeah, I mean it, it, it's a bit long, but I, I don't. I think it's definitely um, one of Tarantino's better films. I think it's definitely more feels more akin to a western. Uh, mm. I, I really like the the interplay with the characters. I think it, it runs really well. It may feel longer. Uh, Mostly because it's all set in one one place, but it it does it's not a boring watch. It, it you you engaged with it enough. Uh, I say my only real criticism is maybe a few more characters could have been a bit more less dull, shall we say? Uh, a bit yeah, a bit more to him uh, and a, a leaner running time. I mean, yeah. not not say like 
under two hours. I mean, it's still Tarantino, and I kind of, I kind of yeah, enjoy you taking like two hours plus. Yeah, I, an hour and a half. I do enjoy taking time with these sort of things as well. Sometimes it just feels right to just sort of go. Let's just take our time with it. That's kind of what he's known for. Right? He does. He does take his time. Mm. It is. He does include things like mini shit and and filling the backstory and that, that that's kind of what he's known for now, really. Um, and the way yeah. he divides up his films into chapters, as it were. Of all of his films, this one really just does demand your attention. You've got to concentrate. And it's not because it's difficult, but you're being given lots of little clues and cues and things like that and things to look out for. And there isn't a ton of action to constantly Mm. break things up. So you've just got to sit and really, really pay attention. But that's all he asks. I've heard him say that in interviews before. He said, you know, I just all I demanded you full attention. Also, up to the likes of like Kurt Russell, who who is like basically a guy who could easily fit in any western. Um, but we also got Kurt Russell, Samuel Jackson, um, people who have got just general sc- uh, screen charisma. Just makes it a lot more easy to watch. You know, you can just sort of, you happily sit and watch those two, and it, you know yeah, they're sort of instantly magnetic, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. You know, th- yeah, that... pound for pound, this is a stronger cast than say Reservoir Dogs, as you mm-hmm. would expect it to be by this stage of his career. Sure. Uh, and that does pay off when if you went if you put Reservoir Dogs straight in after this, you will notice a few kind of lightweights comparatively. Yeah, um, get back up to Yeah, I mean from my perspective, um, I mean we might want to after final thoughts, maybe we do just want to have a quick you know talk about how we how we'd rank these films. Um, for me, I'll go first on it. Um, stand by everything I said at the start. I really, really love this film. Wouldn't cut that much from it. Not even as much as I thought, I thought, if you like, in that I put it in tonight thinking, yeah, this should be 20 minutes shorter or something. And actually, I'm not quite sure of the places where I'd cut it. And it, it, there's so much quality character work in it. It's it's not, it doesn't require every scene to be driving plot forward. Having said that, it is reasonably tightly plotted in terms of what the film's communicating to us. As for where it goes in his canon, um, I've got nine films here. Uh, Death Proof is the worst film we ever made. Yeah, uh, I, I put I put Death Proof. I put Kill Bill Volume Two just above it. I think um, I think that might be slightly unpopular, not least with Tarantino himself, in that I think he thinks Kill Bill Volume 2 is one of his better films. I don't. I think it's a bit shit, actually. After Above that, I would put Django Unchained. Now I keep changing my mind, because I've got Reservoir Dogs and The Hateful Eight right next to each other, and I don't know which way round to put them. I'm, I've always tempted to put Reservoir... and In fact, on the screen in front of me, Reservoir Dogs is in front of The Hateful Eight because it's so tight. But then I've watched the film again tonight and I, and I think that The Hateful Eight is just full of such great big performances. Uh, there's an extra geographical element to the way he's using his actors within a room. I think I might be tempted to put this just ahead of Reservoir Dogs. But, which would, which, which Event about hateful eight as well. There's meant for like a, a grand, like a grand stance. It, of a prestige. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's the, that's the There's word, a prestige yeah. to which would put it fifth, which means above it I've got uh, in reverse order. At fourth I've got Kill Bill Volume One, and then it goes Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown, and Inglorious Bastards at the top. I'd probably largely agree with that, apart from to I'll put Jackie Brown on top. Um, maybe. I yeah. nearly did. I nearly did because I had a better viewing with Jackie Brown than I did in Glorious Bastards, pound for pound. Yeah, but like stylistically, I, I would probably put like Reservoir Dogs a little bit higher, nearer the top. But yeah, that's I literally haven't, unfortunately, due to other circumstances going on in my life, mm. um, I haven't actually ranked 
Tarantino movies. But I, yeah, I'd say favorite get, and least favorite then. People take a few. What um, are your favorite couple and least favorite couple then? Let's say. God. Um, what have you enjoyed? Uh, no, In- Inglorious, um, Jackie Brown, um, yeah, Reservoir Dogs, just because it was like a point of entry. Um, I think we've all got those two as our top yeah. two. Okay. Yeah, least least favorite. I don't know. Death Proof. Planet Probably. Terror. <laughs> Planet Terror is not a Tarantino. My least favorite Tarantino film, Green Lantern. Oh, Tarantino. Shit. <laughs> They're not appearing in this series. Um... Yeah. All right, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, the, I mean, Death just because it's, fun, I would say, obviously, it's the, it's the better of the two films, but not most memorable. Obviously, Kill Bill, like, Volume 2 would be like middle of the road, um, Volume 1 right up there. And we'll see what happens when Volume 3 comes out later on. Um, but who, who knows? Like his his next film may come out and be like the most amazing thing and go straight to number one. So we'll see. Could be his best yet. I'm glad he moved away from from that sort of the genres. The, the way his first films, first three films felt, was very separate from what came after. And I'm glad he moved away from it and experimented a bit and did westerns and did like a war film and did you know even Death Proof. I I don't like it, but I'm grateful for it being there in a strange kind of way and he did his eastern film and he did you know i'm glad that he went around the very fact that he's coming back to sort of second half of the 20th century sort of you know the woodstock era next effectively yeah, I, I think he's working, slowly working back to, didn't he? i am i'm expecting really great things from this actually i i think we could be in for something special next year mm. but we we shall find out he's not doing star um he's not doing star trek no, he might still be doing Star Trek. The new, the the current uh, word is that that Star Trek Four, if you like, um, they're still working to, on that sort of um, uh, George Kirk plot, and they've named a director. Uh, I've forgotten the lady's name, but they've they've they've, they've cast a uh, they've hired a, a a woman to direct this film. A woman. Um, a woman. Um, but I can't remember her name all of a sudden. But anyway. Um, the Tarantino project is separate and might even be separate uh, from that crew entirely. We, we don't know yet, but that's that's being worked up as something else entirely. Um, I, I still don't think he'll direct it, but I think the, the, the news that's come out on it in the last few days probably suggests they don't know either. It's not as far along, but we should, we're expecting... Well, they've named a director now, so sometime in the next 18 months we should get another Star Trek film, but it isn't the Tarantino project. Well, just to, just uh, just on this film though, um, I have been really disappointed as I've gone along with the quality of the the bonus features and so on. Early on, Pulp Fiction has wonderful bonus features. So does Jackie Brown. Certain versions of Reservoir Dogs do as well. Here, they had a little bit on the seventy millimeter and a little behind the scenes, and they they added up to I think about eleven minutes across the two of them. And there's no commentary, which means beyond everything I said at the start of the film. I don't know very much about this. If only we had some fun facts. I decided not to do fun facts last week. But this week, I'm Double a little bit worried. Double fun facts. Double the fun. Double the facts. Double the facts. No. <laughs> these, um, these are even truer. <laughs> I was about to say, is, it, is there anything, uh, anything like, uh, does that make sense? Like, double the fact. Like, double, double facts. the fact. Double the fun. <laughs> we... 
<laughs> I didn't even true. think about that. That's, that's, a, that's a genius. They're always true, but this time she's chiselled them into stone and brought them down from the mountain. They can't be <laughs> unproven. Of truth. <laughs> yes. And then she parted the Red Sea and delivered them to... Um... I've had the 5,000. I haven't read the Bible. I don't know what happens at the end. They will live the ever after. I'll just wait for the film. All right. <laughs> it's called The Greatest Story Ever Told. Have you not seen it? Well, the clue's in the name. It must be brilliant. <laughs> Is it better than what women want? Yes. <laughs> Most things are generally. Fair I enough. S- I still haven't seen what women want. But... Oh, I think I only saw it once at the cinema and then that was it. Tremendous stuff. Not really one for the Me Too generation, though, being in women's heads all the time, hearing their every thought, and then using it to manipulate them into bed. But no, you can tell, when, you can tell when he reforms, though, because he gives up smoking. Plus it's Mel Gibson, so he's, like, doubly damned, isn't he? Lay some factage on us. Okay, obviously, number one, he was a child prodigy, could pose music at the age of six. Just turn him yeah. up age. But was the music um, any good, though? Very good. I, I could have composed music at six. It would have been shit, just as it would be now. Well, he, he lived at number seven, so it was no distance. All right, carry on. Fun fact number two, he was also a classmate of Sergio Leone, obviously, um, who they had formed a famous bond with, um, starting with A Fistful of Dollars 1964. So when we do all the westerns, we shall undoubtedly include it. A Fistful of Dollars will be in that series. I think we'll just do the that, that series, I think, to kick we off are, with. We are doing the Leone ones, so yeah. Yeah, that will be all the westerns. Actually, the Leone westerns. We keep putting it off, though. We should have done it about two years ago. But... <laughs> We're kind of starting in earnest now. Doing one day. Hopefully. Yeah. What else have we done that's a western? Um, Django and Jake. Star Wars. Obviously, Django. Star Wars kind of western in space. Yeah. Anyway, fun fact number two. Uh, fun fact number three. Fun fact number three. Obviously, throughout his immense 50-plus year career... Um, nominated for an Oscar five times, but never won until now. Obviously, it won the Oscar for um, original score for Hateful Eight. Um, these are the films for which he was nominated, obviously, um, Days of Heaven, The Mission, Untouchables, Bugsy and Benina. And obviously, he got an honorary Oscar in 2007. But where Oscar shunned him, BAFTA welcomed him with open arms. I think apart on two occasions, I think. Uh, no, one occasion where he didn't um, he didn't win, um, but it was otherwise. BAFTA said yes when Oscar said no, so I think that's quite interesting. In fact, number four, at age seven, he was the oldest recipient of the Academy Award. Um, that is until James Ivory won it last year, not last year, 2016, sorry, for Call Me By Your Name. Um, yeah, fun fact number five, he also holds the Order of Merit of the Italian Republic, which is very impressive. Anyway, so that's my five fun facts about the not hopefully soon to be not late, not dead, yeah. any Morricone. And uh, to the estate of Elio Morricone, we can only apologise. <laughs> Seriously, if we wake up to... Obviously, it's, well, it's, I'll say Amber Rudd has resigned, but obviously she's not dead. But, you know, if we wake up tomorrow and find Elio Morricone has only passed away, it would be like, oh, bugger. I think it's the fact that we did... It was the timings on it all. We did... I, I, I think Bruce Forsyth died within a couple of weeks of us mentioning him. Adam West he was, died... He was poorly for a long Adam, time. Adam West died a week after we did his commentary. And we agreed to do a Roger Moore commentary. Invite him on the show. Oh my god! We agreed that the following day we'd do a Roger Moore commentary, and he died the following day. Mm. Um, John Lasseter obviously didn't die, but we've we've never done a Pixar film. We've got no reason to mention John Lasseter. Came up and commented. 
broken and he was suspended the following week. So our timing is bloody awful. Mm, I think obviously we didn't, I, I really didn't think we killed people off, but it's just bad timing, unfortunately. But I kind of thought, oh, seeing as we're going into you the Godfather. You disagree, believe we're killing people off. Write to us and expect us to the gmail.com. <laughs> on that note, where can we find us on social media? You can find me at the Plastic Kid 1976 on Twitter. You can find me at Twitter. Not that I tweet much, but I'm on there anyway, so if you want to tweet me stuff, you can do. Uh, you can also yeah, find... Chris is, Chris is the strong, silent type on Twitter. <laughs> when, when you do tweet, Chris, you are quite insightful. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure what excitefulness I give, but there you are. Um, Becca's IQ's gone up twenty points just reading your feed. <laughs> <laughs> Tell them about the website as well. That is important. Yeah, uh, you can find. Obviously, we start off as Bonk Up Podcast, and now iTunes have a weird thing of not listing all the podcasts after a certain point. So, if you want to actually listen to our uh, Bond retrospective or any of our retrospectives, such as Indiana Jones and uh, Star Trek and Superman, uh, I, I don't know where it's up to now on, on the iTunes, but. I, I, I don't know where it's up to, but uh, you can uh, find us at sunchoice.co.uk and you can find all on there. So you can download and listen to your leisure until we do Bond again because we've run out of stuff to do. When we've done every franchise ever. All the yeah. Westerns. All the Westerns. Yeah, that could keep us busy. <laughs> Actually, we have 80 episodes on there at the moment, so by the time you hear this one, that will knock off uh, the bottom one, which at the moment is the Spectre Review review Mentory. So um, by the time you listen to this, the Bond Rankings episode will be the last one on there. So we are, next week, going to lose uh, our last original run Bond episode. If you had one episode you'd recommend everyone listen to, but only one, what would it be? Majesties. Um, it was Majesties for a very long time, and I listened to it not that long ago, and it doesn't. We don't sound like that anymore. It's um, it's it's still a little bit stiff. It's, it's a different show, wasn't it? It was a different show uh, back then. Diamonds is our funniest episode. Um, I think. For Your Eyes Only probably is my favourite of our original Bond run. Uh, thing is, we do the odd different type of episode. I mean, the episode I'm probably most proud of is the third music episode, because we all did quite a bit of work for it. Normally we get Charlie on the show, he does a load of work, and we talk him through it, and that's it. Um, for that music episode, we did a lot of work. Yeah, and we, we put a lot of music on. Didn't we? Yeah, we did. And I, we, we went into it with the track listings in front of us. We did loads of work for it. Um, that's that's one of my favourites. I don't not really don't, know what. Not that we don't all do research anyway. But... No, there's just but um, we don't tend to on the music episodes as much though. It's what it's normally a case of what we can remember, but we really really worked at that one. So that's one I'm really proud of. That's just disappeared off iTunes though, but you can get that from the site. That that would have been the last one to have disappeared. Um, I don't know. There's loads I'm really proud of. I think. Um, I don't even know what I think the strongest series we've done outside of Bond is. I know I was really proud of our Superman run. Um, and if you were going to listen to one of those, you would listen to the first one. As funny as four is, you would listen to the first Superman episode. And I was really, really proud of our Rocky run as well. So um, I think that's a long way round to say I don't know in terms of one episode. Batman was pretty good as well, I think. 
Batman. Uh, I think the best at the time, and I've not listened back to them. I felt the Dark Knight Rises was the strongest of that series. Is that because we just took the piss out of Michael Caine? <laughs> his belief in his training. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was really, really proud of that. Anyway, but um, yeah, I don't know. We're, we've done so many now. I can't narrow it down to one. Um, but I could, I could narrow it down to like six to eight, probably, where I'd go. Like, yeah, those are probably among my favourites. Um, I thought we started this series very strong. Um, I'm not saying we're doing particularly bad work now, but there was something about the first three or four we did in this series. I worked really hard on the, on this very early on as well, and I was really immersed in it through like Jackie Brown, particularly. I think the Jackie Brown episode's really good. So um, and the um, Dust of Dawn commentary is pretty funny as well. The, from Dust to Dawn commentary is the most I've laughed on one of our podcasts since we did the Spy Who Loved Me commentary. Because yeah. the Spy Who Loved Me commentary, you, you were hurting yourself laughing. <laughs> so I funny. think we all were, really. you were. just But a couple of times you just hear, it would go quiet and you just hear, oh dear. <laughs> it was Chris trying, just recovering from laughing. Um, yeah, they're probably our two funniest commentaries. The Spy Who Loved Me and um, From Dust Till Dawn are probably our two funniest commentaries. Um, we laughed really hard doing that from Dust Till Dawn episode. It was great. Um, talking of commentaries, though, uh, oh, Becca, have you actually said where we can be found yet? You haven't? No. Hang on, hang on a minute. So, anyway, sorry. Yeah, Becca, where can we be found, where um, can we, we be found and where can you be found? As if you don't know by now. Um, yeah, we live on Twitter at Expect Us to Talk. You can also find us on Facebook at Do You Expect Us to Talk. Um, as Dave said earlier, you can drop us an email at D- Expect us to talk at gmod.com. Um, all, of our, all of our shows and videos are on YouTube, is that correct? Uh, with the exception of one or two of the music ones, because it just got to the point I was having to butcher them so badly. So I stop, I don't put music ones on there now. It's as, as simple as that. But everything else is there, and there are trailers for every episode after the uh, For Your Eyes Only as well. Yeah, obviously you can find us at at the YouTube um, and on Stitcher too as well. Talking of funny commentaries we've done though, um, we're coming up to a commentary again and I always love these as excited as I am for the next episode. It's Bond commentary time again. And as we had the last couple of choices, you and me, Chris, that means Becca. Do you expect us to talk with a turn with a commentary on Goldeneye? whoop do you do Goldeneye. <laughs> they should have gone with the ace of base, Chris. <laughs> oh, that you want is a golden eye. You'd have to hear the whole song, make sure you don't deliver the wrong thing entirely. Oh, dear. Good night, folks. Oh, All she wants is a gold gun. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>